house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. live radio variety show the kind that died 50 years ago but somebody forgot to tell them until this night what are you writing poem what's it about suicide oh big corporation down in texas had bought up the radio station well this isn't really going to be your last show is it every show's your last show that's my philosophy thank you plato it was curtains and everybody knew it a lot of good people up there. These folks put their lives into this. Well, now they can put their lives into something else. You're going to say something about it. How about just a moment of silence? Silence on the radio. I don't know how that works. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's distracting you while Maria Dizia sneaks up behind you with a knife. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my blue box of powder milk biscuits, Chris File. Hello, Chris. (laughs) You know what? Jesus is a powder milk biscuit. <laughs> I had so many things to choose from to intro you for this. So many different products. So many different yeah. uh, little idiosyncrasies yeah. from this movie. You're that take a shot at every warm powder mug milk of black commercial. coffee. That's true. Yes, exactly. Uh, you will. You will want to drink Your a quart of, of it. Yes. Well. Stay tuned. Um, but your yes. uh, insurance contractually required um, secondhand director, right? Right. Your sandwich lady. Yeah. There's a lot of ways we could have gone with this. <laughs> oh, so. that would have been the compliment to end all compliments to yeah. compare me yeah. to Mary Louise Burke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I figured you would like that. You whip up a mean ham salad. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing sounds more disgusting to me than ham salad. But, you know, if Mary Louise Burke offered me a ham salad sandwich, I would eat it. The cuisine of the Midwest is is mysterious yet uh, alluring. So as uh, as Virginia Madsen's character exhibited. So, yes, as you have probably already heard, listeners, we have a guest for this episode. We are very, very excited to have him along with us. We've been dancing around trying to make these plans happen for a while. We uh, were have been on uh, his podcast a few times. We are finally returning the favor. So, a warm welcome to host of the Screen Drafts podcast, which if you are not listening to, you should, because in addition to Chris and I being on it every once in a while, it's also super rad. They draft movies, uh, draft lists of movies of every different type and genre and uh, categorization. He's also a certified Minnesotan, which makes him the only person we could have on to talk about this movie. Clay Keller, welcome to This Had Oscar Buzz. Oh my God! Thank you, thank you, guys. It is. I am. I am very, very excited to be here. I love your show, and I know you guys. Being being a guest is something of a badge of honor here. You guys do not do guests all the time, so we, I was. We are irregular. To be asked. 
We are yeah. very much like Garrison Keillor. We are laissez-faire and catch-as-catch-can when it comes to <laughs> as many aspects. As our will tell you, scheduling conflicts, scheduling conflicts, <laughs> scheduling right. conflicts. Right. Now, Clay, you showed up to record today in a white trench coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's well, troubling. I wear that. I wear that every time I record. <laughs> right, right. Because I am, if nothing, <laughs> nothing if not an angel of death. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. you just show up on other people's podcasts where you're not even guesting and you're just in that white trench coat yeah. kind of just like drifting but through like, their yeah, call. But like, yeah, deep in the background. Like, sometimes you don't yeah. even notice. There was one shot in this movie that I wanted to, I almost uh, gift it for Twitter last night, but my uh, bandwidth was low. Uh, I think it's Guy Noir is is looking at something on a desk and it flips down mm-hmm. and it's a Virginia. Case. That's right, it's the cigarette case. And then yep. Virginia Madsen is in like the deep background, but like perfectly framed. It was I gasped. It was one of those things where just like I actually gasped at a filmmaking choice. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. Um, Robert Elswit, of course, doing the cinematography for A Prairie Home Companion, the final film he did? from Robert was he credited? Altman. I thought it was Ed Lachlan. I could be wrong. It was one of the. It was. All right, give me a second to look this up. <laughs> Sorry, now. I didn't mean to de- derail you here. <laughs> it is Ed Lachman. You're right. Why was I was thinking Elswit because of um, uh, because uh, of Paul Thomas, Paul Thomas Anderson. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, who was the degree to which he did anything on this movie besides be backup is a little unclear, but he was essentially the. Not to be morbid, but like in case Robert Altman should die while making this movie, Paul Thomas Anderson was there to pick up the slack. Uh, Altman did make it through this movie, got his honorary Oscar a few months after filming, and then did pass away by the end of 2006. So this is the final Robert Altman movie, but it is also a deeply, deeply Minnesota movie. And Clay, I imagine this was a big part of the reason why you wanted to lay your claim to it uh well yes i mean also i feel like i don't know whenever this was when i started um haranguing you guys to allow we were recording one of the previous times i think it was the queer drafts i always wait until i've got people uh i like you know on the podcast at a minimum (laughs) live in front of an audience uh is preferred to start yeah uh, Backing them into a corner to sure, make sure. promises. It's good strategy. It's good um, strategy. But yeah. no, I just thought my in. Well, look, one, I I really do love this movie, and 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 I am, you know, you guys know this, and most I feel like most people from Minnesota are like this. Is I am deeply proud to be from Minnesota. I feel like sure, there sure. are. I I know a lot of people who are somewhat either ambivalent about their home state or they are, uh, uh, in, in some cases, you know, depending on how bad the political uh, situation has gotten, maybe a little bit embarrassed about for, of, of their home state. I'm just, I hit the lottery where uh, I'm from the Midwest, but from like the one state that is always solidly Democrat. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. I've just nice. got cover. I can just be proud of, of, uh, of, of <laughs> yeah. being from, from Minnesota. But yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of people from Minnesota are real homers. And uh, as a Buffalonian, I get it. Anytime I find out that an actor or some sort of professional is from Buffalo, I like latch on and I'm like, all right, William Fickner will always be one of my people. Christine Baranski is one of mine. I was like, yes, we've got another one. So, yeah. Fickner and Baranski are really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both Bills fans. So, like, there's, I mean, kind of obviously, (laughs) but like, yes. So, like, yeah, they're in. That's great. No comment on the state of Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what I'm saying. I got really lucky. So I, um, you know, and and beyond being just being from Minnesota, my extended family is all very scan. You know, they're Scandinavian upper you know, Minnesota people. So I stuff that really leans into the sort of stereotypical depiction of someone from Minnesota rings very true to me. Yeah. You know, when, when people try to say, you know, when when people who are from the urban part of the twin cities or something are like, Oh, Fargo isn't what Minnesota's really like. I'm like, well, you haven't, you haven't been to Thanksgiving (laughs) up in, you know, up Northwestern Minnesota. Sure. 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 It's kind of what it's kind of accurate. So um, how much familiarity? So yeah. Oh no, go ahead, Clay. I didn't want to. Well, see, but I, I, but with this movie, I figured I could. My in was that, and as I told you guys, I was uh, on set as an extra for several days of this movie, and I thought that was a good. I, I figured if I threw that at you, you would have no That's choice. Right. That's right. But yeah. to bring me on to talk about this film, that was yeah. My, you kind of tied our hands on that one, Clay. So good job, yeah. good job there. Um, no, we like it when you know stake your claim and. Uh, yeah, and, and I came in full Minnesota um, costume here. I'm wearing a Minnesota State Fair. Oh wow, amazing T-shirt, and I am drinking uh, black coffee, not a <laughs> n- not a quart, just a just about maybe eight or ten ounces, but out of a uh, Swedish dollar horse mug here. Oh, so phenomenal! I'm, you are, I'm, yeah, you came to play. This is yeah. good. So. What kind of familiarity then as a Minnesotan or perhaps, you know, with family members in Minnesota, did you have with a Prairie Home Companion, the radio program? That is the interesting thing about this is I had I had never listened to it. Yeah. When I went to do this movie, I had never listened to it. um, And it wasn't I feel like that is a thing, especially if you were a young person that had to be inherited. Someone had to, it, like a family member had sure, to love sure, it, sure. had to whatever. Sure. And um, no, it just never made it. I mean, I knew what it was. It, I knew who what Param Companion was. I knew that it was one of the Minnesota things. I knew sort of what it was about and the tone and the vibe. And obviously everyone in Minnesota knew who Garrison Keillor was and everything. So I yeah. was certainly aware of it. But um, I had never actually listened to it. I had never been to the Fitzgerald to see a taping of the radio show. It was something that... I had really very little personal connection with um, beforehand, which I guess was unusual. But it was also like, it's an unusual thing. It's a live variety show that was on public radio. So it was, you know, when I was listening to the, when I was listening to the radio, you know, I had a boombox in my room. But when I listened to the radio, it was music or Timberwolves games or something. I wasn't uh, sitting down like it was the 40s to to listen to a variety show. But a lot of people did. And that's, oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, a testament to, the the quality the the whatever the enduring unique quality of the the show was that it, yeah. it had people into the into 2016 2017 sitting down and listening to a variety yeah. show i never really i didn't listen to it my first real familiarity with it when i worked at the public library when i was in high school there uh garrison keeler had written a novel called lake wobegon days which sort of ties into the stories that he would tell on the radio show, but I didn't really know about the radio show, so I just knew about this book. And then that, when I uh, heard then about the radio show, I was like, oh, this is its whole kind of uh, little ecosystem and whatnot. And I didn't listen to it. I didn't don't think anybody in my family really listened to it. But now watching, after watching the movie, I had a thought of just like, I don't have any family members who listen to it, but I know the type of family member that I would have who like would listen to it. It really, it kind of taps into a type of 
person. It has this very cool sort of like non-specific nostalgia that isn't really for anything, but it um even the characters all seem to be from like some different type of imagined, you know, fictitious past sort of uh, narrative yeah. past. I don't know. Chris, did you have any kind of uh, Garrison Keillor connection before you had seen this movie? I mean, I showed up to record this episode in my NPR t-shirt, my <laughs> NPR mug, my sure. NPR... So, like, not... Like, I wasn't a diehard listener, but before seeing the movie in theaters, I had heard the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I think the movie does very cleverly is it pulls you into the obviously it has characters who had been from the radio show obviously not played by these uh, some of these performers kevin klein is playing guy noir and all this sort of stuff and it allows you this like it welcomes you into this world where you understand that this is a thing that has been going on for years and even if you haven't been experiencing it it feels like you can just sort of settle into it and the vibe of it is very you know, you're sort of stepping into this thing that has been going for all this time and you're observing it as it goes. You are kind of the Virginia Madsen character in this. That's sort of almost like the audience POV if you are not somebody who had listened to A Prairie Home Companion. And if you right. were, then you are even more so like in this company of people who in this kind of de facto family. It's really cool. I mean, I... Uh, I just kind of dive right into the thematics of it like this is a movie about death and you know yeah radio is essentially beginning to become a dying art form it's interesting like when this movie would have come out in terms of podcasts because it's like it's not podcasts existed but like not not nearly the ubiquity that they have now so it's like radio has kind of morphed into that so Mm -hmm. like the movie doesn't really predict that side of it but it does see radio or at least this type of radio as yeah. a dying art form what if too it had? so it just like huh? what, if it had, what, what if it had predicted it what what if tommy lee jones had like some like young guy with him who was like <laughs> virginia madison shows up podcasting yeah she's not there to take one of them away in the final right. scene of the movie virginia madison just shows up and says have you heard of this new show, Serial? She shows up at the diner. IPod, she's clutching <laughs> yeah. her iPod video the entire time. She shows right, up at the right. diner at the end with like Ira Glass on her arm and is just like, uh, you know, ready to go for, <laughs> for the next phase of things. Um, before we Have get too far to into S-Town it, though. Yet? Yeah. <laughs> before we get too far into it, though, Clay, you are a first time guest. And for all our first time guests, we do yep. ask. Uh, what was your, because we are an Oscars podcast, even if we are about Oscars uh, mm-hmm. shortcomings, um, what was the first sort of awareness that you remember having of the Oscars, and when did you sort of get into it as a, as a you know, enthusiasm, if you ever did? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, unlike some of your guests, and this is why I love listening to your shows where you bring on people who are as equally passionate about the the history and the ephemera and everything as you guys are, who can rattle off all the nominees and all their the snubs that make them the most infuriated and all that stuff. And I am right. certainly not um, you know, obsessed with the Oscars on a statistical level like that. But the Oscars, like for a lot of people, you know, from the Midwest or, you know, I did not have uh uh really any relatives who were 
interested in arts and entertainment. You know, I loved TV and movies, so my mom and dad would bring me to TV and movie. They were very encouraging of my interest, but I didn't really inherit any – and I was the oldest child and the oldest grandchild, so I didn't really inherit any – uh, movies, TV, any of that from anybody. Uh, it was yeah. kind of a, an interest that was that I, I kind of grew on my own. And the Oscars were a, a big, you know, they were, were a window. They were a conduit into the larger world of uh, certainly like more artistic, adult, grown-up yeah. movies. And it was much like watching, honestly, and this is why every year when we debate how they should fix the Oscars, I'm always on team you know, put in, make it five hours and put in as many goddamn clip packages as you want. Because yep. <laughs> when I was a little kid, watching clips on uh, Siskel and Ebert and on the Oscars were how I got to get my first little glimpses of 100%. these movies that uh, I was not old enough to see yet or wasn't allowed to see yet, but were um, kind of, you know, the things that I was was looking forward to seeing and and, and were, you know, created, populated the larger world of of movies and films. So that was why the Oscars was in was important to me is I loved just getting that little, you know, peek through the window at what yeah. uh, I was not experiencing yet and kind of, made, you know, in a lot of ways what the future held for me. So that and, and, and I just I enjoy a collective, you know, experience. I enjoy watching even if I didn't pay attention to that NFL season, I'll watch the Super Bowl. I'll watch. Sure, sure, sure. I don't know anything about music, and I'll watch the Grammys if I'm not doing anything that night. You know, yeah. I, I I enjoy the pageantry and the production of a lot of a big live show like that. And the Oscars yeah. was always the best of them, maybe give or take a Tony. So, yeah. I um I always love the Oscars. I watch it every year. I have people over. I don't make them dress up. Some people make people dress up to go to Oscar parties. I'm I am not a. I don't like dressing up for a thing. I'm not a costume no. party person, and I would not require that of other people. No, so but listen, I do I turn it on. I already dress like Bronco Henry. I don't. <laughs> that's not a costume. That's true. My but costume I, I, is not. My culture is not a costume. <laughs> uh, but no, I turn the Oscars on three hours early to watch all the arrivals and everything. I do. I get into it. I, I really yeah. enjoy the Oscars. Yeah. Your experience dovetails a lot with mine, just in terms of uh, down to like being the oldest child and the oldest grandchild. But like, yeah, I I very similarly didn't have anybody sort of pass this down to me, but it was my little window into this greater world. Siskel and Ebert, I feel like we don't talk about their show as much on this podcast, but like that was a huge window into film culture that... Uh, yeah that I love watching going back. There's so much uh, available on YouTube of like old Siskel and Ebert episodes. I think that and... kept a lot of people sane in the early months of lockdown was mm-hmm. all of yeah. the YouTube uh, <laughs> yep. Siskel and Ebert episodes. Yeah, uh, And they still, they'll have like their, if we picked the Oscar winners and they're like best of the year stuff. It's just like, Oh, it's fantastic. You could waste I, an I, entire weekend. I've had people talk to uh, us about our show that they're like, you and Joe just like fight a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> do we? You've never seen a Siskel and Ebert yeah, episode. Like they true. have some of the bitchiest things oh, that they yeah. say to each other. And it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, all right. Well, let's move into then discussion of this movie because we're going to have a ton to talk about and including we've got a couple little games lined up because among other things, this is going to be our 10th Meryl Streep movie. We'll get into that. 
Um, so many little like avenues and offshoots we have though with this movie, just in terms of the cast and obviously the Altman of it all. And, uh, that's going to be big. So let's waste no time. Clay, I'm going to have you sort of crack your knuckles and prepare for a 60 second plot description. I'm going to pull up my phone, but first I'm going to read off the particulars of this movie we're talking about this week. We're talking about 2006's A Prairie Home Companion. It's directed by Robert Altman, written by Garrison Keillor, based on a story by Garrison Keillor and Ken Lezebnik, starring Kevin Kline, Meryl Streep, Lily Tomlin, Lindsay Lohan, Woody Harrelson, John C. Riley, Tommy Lee Jones, Virginia Madsen, Garrison Keillor himself, Maya Rudolph, Mary Louise Burke, a cast of uh, many others, regulars from the Prairie Home Companion show, and all in all, just a typically intertwined Robert Altman ensemble. So I've got my stopwatch. Jones? Yes. Who just passed Uh, away last week? Oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Good timing on our part. So... Um, I don't know why I decided to pat death. ourselves on the back yeah. for uh for now who's dying. Virginia Madsen Joe. now indeed who is Virginia Madsen yeah technically speaking Virginia Madsen is not billed as the angel of death no, she is billed yeah. as dangerous woman so yeah. actually Virginia Madsen is not playing an angel of death she is playing Ariana Grande I... <laughs> fantastic all right uh Clay I'm gonna yes. hit start on okay. the stopwatch in a second and you've got You'll have 60 seconds to lay out the plot, such as it is, of a Prairie Home Companion. Are you ready? I'm doing this. at When I just listened to the Adam Prayer, Berry Prayer episode, yeah. he seemed very prepared. I'm doing this extemporaneously, so let's see how I do it. All right. Uh, listen, I've done it both ways, and uh, and chaos lies either way. So, okay. uh, All right. You can begin now. Okay, it is Saturday night in St. Paul, Minnesota, and that means that a couple hundred people have gathered to uh, view a live broadcast of a long-running variety show called A Prairie Home Companion. Uh, we spend most of the time of the movie back, on stage and backstage with the regular uh, cast of characters of this radio show, including the host, uh, GK, as he's credited, although Garrison sure. Keeler, they call him Garrison and Keeler over the course of the movie. So I don't know why they just call him Garrison Keeler, but it's Garrison Keeler. Uh, you've got the Johnson sisters, Wanda and Yolanda, Meryl Streep, and Lily Tomlin. You've got the uh, uh, guy noir played by Kevin Klein. You've got Maya Rudolph is there. Uh, you've got Dusty and Lefty, the Cowboys, a whole bunch of people. And there isn't a plot per se, but it's mostly about everybody sort of finding out in dribs and drabs that this is the final Tempting. show they're going to do. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones has come to shut the show down, and it's melancholic, and someone dies, and there's an angel of death walking around, and there's no plot, but it's uh, about uh, coming to terms with the end of an era. Very good. Only two seconds over. Good job, Clay Cullen. Uh, okay. Very, very well done. There is the the plot I to I spent a lot of time home... talking about Garrison Keillor's credit, which I think you did. I think you that did. Was that was detour. strategically very dangerous, but you managed to pull it out anyway. So... Um, once you started running down every single cast member, I was like, oh, no. Oh, this oh, is. No. Uh, but you pulled it out. The thing about the plot of A Prairie Home Companion is you could sum it up in five minutes or you could sum it up in 10 seconds. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like right. it's everything and yeah. nothing all at once, which is the kind of thing that really appeals to me. There's a lot of this is a movie that does a very good job of giving you sort of the history of these characters by little bits, especially I feel like that way when it comes to the Johnson sisters, where you get so much of their relationship to each other, 
uh, Yolanda yeah. and and GK's sort of torrid romantic whatever that is going on there, um, in in a very sort of small space. Yeah. I think it's very. Cool I love how that. they open it. They open the movie. Uh, well, they open it with a guy noir uh, voiceover, which is yes. which is fun. And Joe, did you notice how wet those streets were in the opening? <laughs> okay, all right, we got to talk about this. <laughs> you were bringing up wet a hot topic. Hell. We got to talk about this. I'm so embarrassed. God, so we did you our episode. There's nothing no. to be embarrassed about. We no. did our episode on uh, how do you know? And I noted in that movie, as I did when I was watching it, that. The streets were incredibly wet. And I think, like, even beyond, like, there were, like, standing puddles of water in daytime in this. So, like, even among right. in the fact that, like, I never realized that this is a thing that people do on movies all the time where they wet down the streets to make them more photogenic and have them reflect the light and, and right. you know, cinematographic concerns and whatever. Even among that, it does seem unusual that for daytime shots that there would be, like, just puddles of water that it looked like it really did just like a rainstorm had just passed through but anyway so they i made note of this well. and then i screen grabbed like four things and i tweeted it and i was like is this a thing and then as soon as i tweeted it i followed it up with like is this a thing that happens all the time and i've just not noticed it so i did at least allow for the possibility that that was the case right and that definitely was the case i particularly didn't realize that this was a Janusz Kaminski thing. And we had talked about that it was odd that Janusz Kaminski had been the cinematographer for this rather terrible movie. And that doesn't seem like a cinematographer's movie. movie. And so I, I immediately was just like, Oh God, like I, I, you know, I'm a fraud. I don't know the medium that I speak of. I, you know, I, I spiraled for a little bit, but it was fine. It was okay. No, anyway, you're fine. Look, like I said, I was I, I noticed this, you know, many years ago, but perhaps it's because I I uh, did you. OK, um, I have a little game for you guys first, but, uh, Ooh, you yes. know, I was on set for this for this movie and maybe I yes. saw them wetting the streets down. Maybe that's how I found out about it. Insider information, insider right. information. But I remember for a long time when I was like a teenager, I was like. Oh, if I ever do like a really self-aware movie about Hollywood or whatever, really self-aware characters, I'll yeah. have it like every time they exit a building, it'll be daytime and the streets will just be soaked, and they'll be like, "What? When did it rain?" <laughs> or just like, you "How can am make I missing them... the rain every time?" You could make like a fly on the wall movie about somebody at a film on a film set whose just job is just to wet down the streets, right? Like, just, uh, yeah, that's somebody's job. Well, and it's funny because. The Somebody mentioned the speaking of Kaminsky, they were like, yeah, on West Side Story, it was kind of a thing because at some point Spielberg had to be like, you can't wet down the streets so much because the dancers will slip and fall. And I literally, (laughs) as I've mentioned on this podcast before, they filmed the America scene on the street behind the apartment that I was living in at the time. I spent an entire Saturday sort of hanging out my fire escape, watching Ah, them set up this shot and the and and film it and a bunch so like i watched that all that time and i was probably much more like concerned with trying to find out like what chair spielberg is sitting in and like where right. uh you know the performers were and whatnot that i probably did not notice that like kaminsky had somebody pr- prowling that street and like wetting it down <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he's he's finding at, at every single spot that there there it won't be a dancer and just yes, doing it a exactly. little bit, just getting a <laughs> yeah, little yeah. bit wet. Yeah. Yes, so I will I will um, never not notice this now. So yeah, uh, well it's and it be it's used beautifully in the opening shot of this film when it kind of yes. transitions from 
the aurora borealis in the opening credits into mm-hmm. the reflection in the water as the camera cranes up on the on the Mickey's Diner, which is a real place. Is it not not built for the movie or anything? That's actually they shot there in uh, Jingle All the Way as well. Oh, um, cool! <laughs> uh, same 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 diner. Um, but the yeah, only but two did movies you guys you could need? So I told you guys that I was an extra in this movie. Yeah, I want to hear all about this. And you, yes. but did you spot? You can spot me very e- no relatively kidding. easily twice. No uh, way. Did where did you it, spot me? I didn't. No, okay. I was so caught up in the movie. Where were you? Yeah, oh, there you go. Uh, I am in this opening scene where the camera is craning up and the crowd is walking into the Fitzgerald. Uh, I walk in right in front of Kevin Klein. So Kevin Klein, I'm with oh, my mom because I was 17, so I had to have an adult with me. Yeah, my mom's in this like bright green coat, and I'm just like you know lanky. And we walk in, uh, and Kevin Klein walks in directly behind me. Uh, and my oh, mom and I are wow. doing a bit of acting business. We're discussing something or whatever. And so you can kind of, <laughs> we've got a little action. So Kevin Klein comes in right behind me. Uh, and that was funny because you see me, I stutter step because there was this old woman who would walk kind of parallel to me, but then every take try to like get in in front of me through the door. So I was, <laughs> and then, so I was every take, I was trying to like not knock this old woman over. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, on one, and on one take, she jutted right in front of me and i had to stop to not knock her over and kevin klein had to stop his movement to not knock me over uh and so they didn't use that's that just what but, you want out of the extras in a scene yep. is uh is to make kevin klein have to stop and not kevin motion. klein yeah so but in the take that's in the movie you can you can see it very easily an old woman comes in front of me and i have to like sidestep and be like we gotta we, we're, we're we gotta please, screen ma'am, grab this ma'am, for when this episode me. goes up um, yeah we'll so put that's the first on one twitter yeah yeah that's the first so that's one. the first one uh, the second one, though, maybe we'll get to a little bit later on because it occurs later oh, okay. in the movie. And I, but right. I was also in the crowd, which there's not a lot of crowd shots in this movie. No, but there they are. Had, they yeah. had a they had a pretty full theater for a lot of the shooting, so a lot yeah. of extras just sat there and watched stuff. But I had I spent a good amount of time in the crowd, uh, and maybe I'll I'll mention it when it's when it's relevant. But I saw yeah. extended takes of a lot of the songs and all that stuff. Oh my oh, god, that's very cool. God, so this was filmed at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, as you said, uh, named after F. Scott Fitzgerald, which I didn't realize till after I saw the movie that the bust was uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Local and boy wrote some yes. ro- romantic novels. As they wrote say. some novels, people may have heard of them. You know, played famously by Tom Hiddleston in Midnight in Paris. Um, so the fact that they filmed this in this pre-existing theater that was not made for, you know, film productions, this is, this is for live theater. It was amazing to me that this was not a set because of the way that the camera was able to move throughout this, you know, apparatus and up through, there's one point where it comes up from the lower level through the, you know, the door in the floor of the stage and it comes up. And I was just incredibly impressed by this movie that feels, I remember when the movie came out and we'll talk about its reception. I remember the reception of it being like, Oh, it's a little, it's a, you know, it's slight. It's sort of, it's small. It's, it doesn't feel, I don't, I think a lot of people tended to, get into a point where you were expecting these kind of big, bigger things from Altman, uh, which is an odd thing to expect of if you actually think about his filmography. But there's a lot of filmmaking in this movie that we would sort of like, we would, that you typically think of like, you know, choices and, and, you know, really 
kind of impressive stuff that he does with camera and obviously with audio that's sort of his calling yeah. card but um i was very very impressed that this was done in a an actual existing theater yeah it, yeah it's and it's kind of a cramped theater like at least in the audience mm-hmm. it's not a big theater it's 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 a yeah. it's a it's a pretty narrow theater and it's it's there isn't a lot of room to move around and yeah and the actors you know didn't have uh, trailers like it was Everybody did this movie because they wanted to work with with Altman, and they accepted yeah. these really suboptimal, um, you know, circumstances in terms of pay and uh, sure. comfort. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Um, to, uh, to 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 do it, and it was very impressive. I mean, and and you know, to see it was impressive because yeah. they would, you know, uh, they had all of the they would remove big sections of the seats to create these platforms to put the dollies on and everything, and yeah. they didn't do a lot on the stage and i think you can tell in the movie there isn't a lot of stuff looking from the back of the stage right out there's a lot of kind of moving back and forth kind of on the front of the stage and kind of getting a few degrees over or over but i I like i like that because they're trying to give you a backstage feel but it's it's not frantic it's not frenetic and when you are watching them perform they are sort of approximating you know, they're letting it sit back. They're putting it in a in a you know like a wide or a medium wide, and they're letting you sort of experience the performance of the radio show and trying to get across right. how you know talented these people are and how you know kind of this the really fascinating thing about doing uh, a broadcast that's going out live and there are people watching you, but you're not really you're not worried too much about the, the audience watching you. I I love when they're you know the scene yeah. where. He's vamping during the ad because my the, the papers go all, all the over the floor, and he's doing <laughs> yes. this, and it's this 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 like fun thing where you know people listening, you know, uh, next to the hearth or in their car or whatever, sure, have no idea. But these people, you know, they're like frantic and doing this and grabbing this yes. thing and everything, and it's that that um, invisible chaos that I think they do a really good job of uh, portraying. In this well, when you when you think about it on paper, this idea of we're making a movie about the production of a radio show and it's like well how dynamic can this be and yet that's there's so much happening on that stage there's so many people on that stage at any given moment from musicians to the sound effects guy and garrison keeler obviously and then whoever else is there and the camera does a great job of like you said just sort of like allowing you to be in the position of looking at a lot of things at a lot of things at once and yeah yeah. and and great use of of depth too of you you don't get like a lot totally. of cut around close-ups or inserts or anything it's you, you right. get you know like i said a lot of like medium wides where you, it's close enough where you can focus on what like garrison is doing but you also get everything yeah. going on in the background and it's 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 yeah I, I don't know i don't know why people knocked it as kind of simplistic i don't know maybe just because it's not a nashville-esque epic or something i don't know but it was yeah I mean, I do think it's a tonal thing. I think it's that it's kind of a musical thing and people don't take those as seriously. And it's probably also, I mean, maybe we can talk about Altman a little bit here, but I think it's the run-up of films that Altman had had before this, even though, like, Gossard Park was incredibly praised and such, but, like, later Altman is not, you know, seen as right. the pinnacle of his career. Um, we, you, you guys talked about Dr. T and the women on uh, screen yes. draft recently. <laughs> we sure did. Yeah. And we had an episode on it too. Yes. <laughs> We're not fans. Um, <laughs> I, I also think that there is something about this movie that 
uh, I mean, when when did Altman actually die after this November of that year? So okay, only so a few after, after the movie was out. seen, I do think it's very easy. It's much more easy to see what the thematic content of this movie is, and it's yes. very it, it after he died, it fully recontextualized this movie because this is a movie about death, and it is very much his final movie, like in the same timeline of him actually dying. Um, you know, it's not yeah. like he made this even two years, five years before he died. He made this movie was released the year that he died. Um, well, and what, so I don't, there's something about that, that I think allows people to see this movie for as great as it is. One of the fascinating things about this is, so he had filmed the movie after that, the Oscars, the Oscars for 2005 that happened in, March of 06, Altman gets the honorary Oscar. He had never won a competitive Oscar. He gets the honorary Oscar presented to him by Lily Tomlin and Meryl Streep, who did this super delightful uh, overlapping dialogue intro in the style of these Altman movies. It was an incredible tribute. It's also just like super entertaining in and of itself. Uh, Boy, I didn't think we'd get past security out there. Yeah, I know. Now we just have to get past all our insecurities up here. Okay. <laughs> Hello, I'm Meryl Streep. And I'm Lily Tomlin. No, and, and tonight we are no, no, pleased no. to honor wait a, minute, a, wait a, minute. a man. No, we're no. honoring a man. A man who we honor. That's what? a man who didn't. That's my, you're reading my line. A man who didn't play by the rules. Yeah, that's what I said. Who didn't play by the rules or stick to stick the script. Stick to the script. I am, Meryl. No, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying that Robert Altman didn't stick to the script. He colors outside the lines. And he wants actors to do the same thing. Yeah. He doesn't want us to act. No, and I'm grateful for that. uh... And then Altman gives really lovely, grateful, you know, self-possessed speech. A speech where it's, it's not as if... It is both aware of his own mortality. He mentions the heart transplant that he had gotten several years earlier, and he gives a sense of this, you know, sort of wide, wide angle look at his career. And yet he does explicitly say, I don't feel like this is the end for me. I feel like I've got, you know, many years to come. And I, I, I think I have to get, become straight with you. Uh, Ten years ago, 11 years ago, uh, I had a heart transplant, a total heart transplant. I got the heart of, I think, a young woman who was about in her late 30s. And so by that kind of calculation, you may be giving me this award too early because (laughs) I think I've got about 40 years left on it. And I intend to use it. Thank you very much. There's irony in the fact that by the end of the year, he would have passed away. But, like, it was not necessarily a sudden death. He died of leukemia. There was enough concern about his health that they had brought on Paul Thomas Anderson to be in the movie. So it's you can almost then look at that speech as that as a little bit of defiance in terms of just, like, I'm not I'm this, you know, this isn't the end for me and and you could almost feel him maybe willing that to be true and yet you look at the prairie home companion which is ultimately a story coming from a different author altogether in keeler it's keeler's milieu it's keeler's 
uh, thing. But like, as Chris said, there is so much of this as a final film. It's a perfectly chosen final piece for Altman in that it, it's a, it's a capstone on so many of the things that he did so well with these, you know, big Mm -hmm. cast and overlapping dialogue and, and being an independent movie, this was uh, produced by Picture House, which was a sort of independent wing of New Line, uh, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers New Line around that time that didn't really last too much longer. But um, just as a final Picture movie, House also had, I think, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth was their big movie this year. Which good, was I was watching. Did they the have Lovey Rose? Oh, did they? Maybe they they Wait, were did... done by two thousand eight. I remember I yes. uh, w- w- watching the movie last night. I was like, God, where did I remember the Picture House? And it's a real shame. That's a, they have a good uh, a good logo and a good little fanfare. It was a nice way to open a yes. movie. I was uh, yeah, too bad they don't have that in front of more movies. It like fits into the aesthetic of this movie in particular Perfect. too. Yeah, <laughs> their two thousand six. They had Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story. They had the sure. notorious Betty Page, Prairie Home Companion, Fur. Uh, an imaginary portrait of Dion Arbus. Pan's Labyrinth was their big award success. That one really, really performed above and beyond for them at the Oscars. And then the next year, Le'Veon Rose and a movie that I love fiercely, which is Starter for Ten, which is a movie I will evangelize to any and everybody. A great uh, James McAvoy, Rebecca Hall movie. Great movie. I really want, Joe, I really wanted to be able to convince myself to play that on the Rebecca Hall draft. You know, that's what I was rooting for when I was listening to that. I was like, that was my rooting interest. I I rewatched it being like, okay, I am going to make, get my argument ready for why this shouldn't. I was like, ah, she's not really in the movie yeah much. no that's you're not wrong you're not wrong there it's much more of a james mcavoy it's movie very than it is a rebecca McAvoy hall movie. listen all of the hall monitors out there all this had oscar buzz <laughs> listeners that are also hall monitors go see resurrection in theaters yeah Becky hall is on fucking one guys. resurrection is rad yes um, she's the best anyway joe it's interesting you were saying that that you know obviously this seems to fit so well with with Altman's sort of, you know, the arc of his life ended up being, uh, though it came from someone entirely different. But the Altmans did have a, a good amount of influence on the creation of this movie. I just reread before this an article from the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, that um, uh, Colin Covert wrote that was put up right after the movie finished uh, shooting, and he did some interviews and stuff. Uh, The film uh, originally going to be titled The Last Broadcast, interestingly enough, uh, although there's another movie called that. I don't know. Just called A Prairie Companion. That was the smart thing to do. Um, But apparently uh, Keeler for a while had been trying to get people interested in a Lake Wobegon movie, just a movie about his fictional – like you said, he's he's written some Lake Wobegon books. It's this fictional town in Minnesota. And then during the Prairie Companion radio show, he would do these little like local news dispatches from Lake Wobegon. So he wanted to do a Lake Wobegon movie and was talking to Altman about that. And then it was actually Altman's wife who was a big fan of the radio show and said, you know, I love the rhythm of the radio show. I love the little characters popping in and out. I love the ads. I just think that would be perfect and kind of convinced – Altman yeah. and Keeler that it would really fit Altman's style of the yeah. uh, interweaving characters and overlapping dialogue and stuff really well. So yeah. then they kind of changed their idea. That was a smart decision. To that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good note. Uh, and I mean, it, it's interesting because the show, the movie both is and 
is not about the show. Like it, right. it has as much to do with what's going on in a Prairie Home Companion as it fully doesn't. Like yeah. the show is a stand-in allegory, whatever, for death and like a, a, a dying art form. They're all existing in this dying or dead ecosystem, right. and uh, I don't know. Uh, and the of, characters guess, also all represent also dying or dead genres right we've got the two Both from the, the sisters Western. their whole yeah. like uh dressing room sequence which like i yeah. want to live in that when i yeah. die i want to be buried in those uh in those design. sequences oh. and yeah. all they do um, is talk about the past every character yep and all they do parents. is talk about the past the entire movie yep yeah um until the very end until after the show has ended then meryl streep is talking about the future and doing well, and even that is like they it. want to do one last tour and have it be one last show followed by one last show followed by one last show. And right. the only modern character is Lindsay Lohan, who comes in at the end as like a you know, <laughs> in executive a... realness drag, yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, um, but see, the thing is, like, ultimately, like, this is a this is a movie where we've been kind of marinating and thinking about like characters are talking about the past, they're talking about their dead loved ones, we're like kind of just languering in this ebullient, ebullient uh, like art form that is effectively like it's it's presented as Prairie Home Companion's last show it wasn't their last show but like it's dead it's dying and then like you have this final scene that like really I think gives kind of uh, or Altman's giving this kind of almost ambivalent perspective on death. Like, for Virginia Madsen shows up, and famously, we don't know who she's taking with her. She, right. she is there as, like, death can be uh, arbitrary. It me, it, like, we in living lend it so much significance, but in fact, it is random, it is indiscriminatory, right. and, like, it, is ultimately insignificant. Like anybody else who's at that table is going to go on and do whatever. And then they will die eventually or randomly. And like, we lend it more meaning than it actually has. Absolutely. And the death is the, the literal death stuff, Chris, the, the, the earlier death when LQ Jones dies, both of these things are treated as dark. They're sort of, uh, they're treated with, 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 with weight and respect, but also sort of both of them are tied to a dark joke. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the LQ Jones thing, you know, goes right into, turns into an extended fart joke. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, then at the very end, when Virginia Madsen comes in, there's a great subtle bit of physical acting from Kevin Klein where he is kind of like looking at her and pointing at the different yeah. people. Like, is it? Yeah, he's like, me, her, is her it, him. Is it me? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. So there is, and you know, it is, it is treated like, and like everything, and that is the ethos of. Prim Companion and, you know, Garrison Keillor's whole thing, which is, you know, um, having fun with the past, paying homage while also sort of making light of it and pointing out where it's yeah. silly, and but all done very dry. And uh, uh, yeah, and I, it's interesting. I love, I love the bit. I mean, there's lots of great bits and we'll talk about, you know, obviously Garrison Keillor had his complicating things 10 years or so after this movie. Right. All right. right. Um, but I mean, he's. I think he's so funny in this movie, and I just I love when when it's such an odd energy that he such brings an to odd all energy. of it. And yeah. Meryl Streep is keeps hounding him. Originally, it's about the death of the show, and then later she brings it up again when when uh, Chuck Akers dies. She's like, "Aren't you going to say something?" And he's 
uh, like, oh, what am I going to say? I'm not going to give a big, like, weepy speech. She's like, well, you know, people want to, you know, they want to remember people. That's for the audience. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want people to be told to remember me or whatever. Right. That's, like, yes. Right. Yeah. He says, real, like, Lindsay Lohan ego. is like, wouldn't you, yeah, if you died, the wouldn't you want to be remembered? lack of ego is what. Yeah. Yes. Basically. <laughs> Keeler was all about. <laughs> There's also the Streep's character says to him, she's like, well, how about a moment of silence? And he just goes, silence on the radio. I don't know how that works. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it, that's a really, it's a right. really good scene. There's a lot of, um, yeah, th- his energy is just, is, yeah. is such an odd, like an odd fit for everything and yet perfect for this. An Altman movie. <laughs> well, and also for this, this radio program that seems to be a program that is also, comment like looking at itself as it happens you know on this sort of like dual levels it's um it's very interesting yeah the the energy that keeler brings to it is this is this it's this brilliant concept and you know it goes all the way back the movie's an interesting thing because it is as you were saying chris it is this like 50 50 where it is presenting prim companion as though this is the real show but then you have these you know made up characters like Dusty and Lefty and Guy Noir and the Johnson sisters, all these people, as, as Joe pointed out, characters who existed on the show, but were played by other people and presents them as, as real people, not as characters right. being played by actors in the show. Right. Right. So it's this, it's this weird sort of like half and half reality, surreality thing going on. That's yeah. done really subtly, but I love Keeler's character, which is the attitude of a real Midwestern. Well, I work a job. I get up in the morning, right. I go do my job and blah, blah, blah. But for him, it's not, you know, working at the the grain elevator. It's he's on the radio. He's an entertainer. Yeah. And all of his stories about... <laughs> well, what does he about, say? He says at oh, the end all when they're in the diner. All of stories about how he got in, into what? No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, when they're stories. at the diner... <laughs> yes. This right. is a very Altman interaction. This is kind Altman of interaction. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to shut diner, up yeah, yeah. and I'm going to let Clay finish saying what he was saying. And then I'm going to... This well, podcast think, yeah. is no, in I the love, Altman cinematic universe. And he has that the the attitude at at the diner if the show has ended where they say what are you doing and he's like oh I'm working at the parking ramp and it's yeah, good good job whatever but he's got that yeah. whole en- that whole energy and all of his stories about how he got into radio none of them were like oh I always wanted to be on the radio I wanted to be an entertainer they're all like an accidental I was like oh well so then I ended up being on the radio kind of thing and it's that yes. that yeah. very kind of tossed off it's just it's a it's a very unique character that he created. Totally. Yeah. I was literally just going to say the thing about the, he's parking cars now. I was like, yeah. it was, it was, what, a, what a weird little fun touch. <laughs> um, so I want to get into a little bit of the Meryl Streep of it all during that year, because obviously this was a big year for her. This was the same. This came out in June, did I say, when I ran this down earlier? Yes. 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 It premiered this came in Berlin. Out a few weeks before Devil Wears Prada. I was going to say, it pre- yeah, premiered Prada. in Berlin. It played South by Southwest, but then it opened in June, and then Devil Wears Prada was a few weeks later. So this was, and that obviously was the one that got a lot of attention. She, When she won the National Society of Film Critics Supporting Actress Prize, it was for both of the movies, which I think is interesting, because uh, she was obviously a lead actress nominee at the Oscars for Devil Wears Prada. I think she's tremendous in A Prairie Home Companion. I always love mm-hmm. this is maybe my favorite movie in which she sings. She sings in actually quite a bit more movies than people think of when you think of I she's n- not known. Yeah. She's not known as a from musical the edge, actress. man. No, I, I, from I mean, the edge. she 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 created musical being in musical opportunities for herself when she got became the grand dame or whatever. And she's like, I yeah. will be in your musical. And everybody's like, OK, that's fine. OK, right. I can do it. <laughs> but like we were watching because uh, we did a Soderbergh episode about 
post-retirement Soderbergh movies a couple weeks ago. So I watched Let Them All Talk for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And Meryl Streep dies, and then there's like a, a somber, like uh, like I don't know, Irish or British sort of like song playing after her character has died. I was like, that's fucking Meryl Streep. She's and lo that. and behold, it was Meryl Streep. <laughs> and this is something I have noticed over the years is that she, r- r- this movie, Ricky and the Flash, Postcards yep. from the Edge, uh, Death Becomes Her, Death Becomes the her opening with the Broadway number. She even Flo Flo Jenkins. She's like Where's supposed to be Jenkins? singing horribly in that movie, and yeah. then at the end of the movie, they give her a fantasy sequence where she can sing well, yeah. and yep. it's yep. maddening. Yep. But she this is love singing. This is my favorite. I think she's she brings a ton of character into the performances. Also, she and Lily Tomlin harmonize so well together. It's really something else. Goodbye to my mama, my uncles and aunts. One after another they went to lie down In the green pastures beside the still waters And made no sound Their arms that have held me for so many years Their beautiful voices no longer I hear They're in Jesus' arms and he's talking to them in the rapturous new Jerusalem. I love them together. I love I love their singing together. I love yeah. that first scene where they walk in with Lindsay Lohan and they're getting ready and they go down into their dressing room and they're telling all these stories about the two sisters who used to be in the act and their mom and all of this. Yeah. I just oh my god, they're they, I, I love in these Altman movies, and this one is a little maybe a little different because these characters are not necessarily supposed to be real people they are a little bit more uh archetypal a little bit yeah. a little bit heightened yeah but uh they you know we don't get a lot of time with each character but all of the characters are so specifically tuned and i guess dusty and lefty and guy noir they're sort of cartoons but the johnson yeah. sisters feel more real and i just love their dynamic and i love meryl streep like you said yeah. i especially this and Devil's Prod in the same year is like Spielberg doing Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same. It just shows the talent and the range. Yeah, it is and the range. Yeah. Two wildly different characters. Could not be more different characters between Devil's Prada and this movie. Yeah. Well, and even what they talk about things like, because there's a lot of regret with those characters where they never were as famous as other people who were in, there were other family acts that got more right. success than they did. And they have some resentments towards, again, as they're spinning these stories that feel like they are coming up with them on the fly about the one sister who got arrested for shoplifting a glazed donut. And that's how their father had the coronary. And, <laughs> and that was Thomas the end. Like, now, if we were rock and roll, we could be throwing couches out of windows. That's the thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But right, you got these audience, Christian you audiences. Couches, not even your own couch. You could throw someone else's <laughs> couch out of the window. <laughs> God. Lily Tomlin kills it in this movie. She's great. And then, though, it all leads up to... And it doesn't even feel like it's leading up to, but they ultimately have this performance of this song dedicated to their mother that is so gorgeous and sad and sweet. And the fact that it can sort of go from one thing to the other is really special, I think. And then add Lindsay Lohan to that mix, which this movie came about in the thick of post-Mean Girls tabloid nightmare Lindsay Lohan. She had... um, 
she was, you know, going out on the town and getting photographed by the paparazzi, all these breakup stories. She had just, she was just about to start filming Georgia Rule, which I think was like the nadir of Lindsay bad onset stories. But she had also, she had given this interview to Vanity Fair where she mentioned that she was bulimic and then she took that back and said, that's not what I meant and all this sort of stuff. And yet this movie feels like such an oasis in the middle of that. They did that W mm-hmm. Magazine article with Streep and Lohan, and Streep is incredibly complimentary of her, of Lindsay. and Didn't she Lindsay call her on one of the set. best performers she's ever worked with? Altman said he loved working with her and would work with her again, which is, you know, a sad thing, obviously, knowing that this was his final film. Um, they talked about what a professional she was, and she's very good in this movie and in and the tone of the movie which i love in the context of Lindsay's story is it's a movie very much about sort of welcoming this young girl into the fold of these seasoned professionals who operate like a family and they're all singing right. on stage together at the end and in the very end when it's her and uh Geraldine singing together on sweet by and by mm. i was like oh this is a very like this is an acknowledgement of this young talent, you know, come sing with me, come sing alongside me. Um, in light of everything else in her career, it feels very special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's great in the movie. She's the only cast member I did not get to see perform. Oh, yeah. When I, when, when I was on set, I, that she's yeah. the only one I missed. And yeah, I feel like she did. was Wonderful. not, but she, she was there. When I was there, I think she was not, she was, yeah, obviously, she, the, all eyes were on her. That's, I remember people yeah. were excited that the production was coming to Minneapolis, but I remember they were like, oh, Lin- Lindsay Lohan, too? Like, Lindsay, like, as though, like, it was, she was going to tear around, like, Ezra Miller, like, There was a lot of incredulity going into yeah. this, yes, at that time. People were being like, really, Lindsay Lohan in a movie with Meryl Streep? How's that going to work? And Meryl kept being asked about it, too, because yeah. I'll never forget the quote from Meryl, I pray for Lindsay. Like, uh... Like, Meryl still will be effusive about Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Um, had a quote semi-recently about how she wanted to to do a movie with Meryl about, oh, I can't remember what it was, whether it was a... Uh, like a Little Mermaid movie or something like that, like something where she wanted to like make a movie. I with mean, that's Meryl basically the shit that Meryl's making these days, anyway. I mean, honestly, um, oh <laughs> six, um, great year for Meryl because with the exclusion of the post, everything else is just drag from then on. Um, well, I also remember. I, mean, I don't know. I think there's some good Meryl in post. Well, now I'm gonna have to pull up the IMDb. I like Florence Foster <laughs> Jenkins. I think she's oh, I phenomenal in Julian Julia. I think she's phenomenal okay, yes, in the Julian post. Julia. Oh, and uh, also, excuse you, Chris, there were two Mamma Mia films that came out after 2006. I mean, so like, I, I love the Mamma Mia movies and I love her in them, but they still here to just like drag me Meryl. You brought it's me not... here to insult me personally, is what you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're the, right. That the it's, one it... thing I remember about Lindsay during this time is I remember on like. E or something they were like it was some you know report from the premiere of the movie not in Berlin I don't think and but it is like amidst these like you know whatever was actually going on with her the press was actually regardless of it awful yeah. to Lindsay and I remember her showing up to the premiere and like she's being interviewed and she's in tears and like just talking about how proud she is to be in a movie like this and it's just like remembering that and kind of like reflecting where things would go it's just like yeah she was just really run through the meat grinder and was yeah. doomed I mean well, like, when we set were up on, to fail basically we were on screen drafts and we were talking about 
I know who killed me. That would have been the year, One year after later? this. Was this? No, is that I think 07? that's 08. Is it 08? Okay, it's but like, 08 or 09. Not too far long after Prairie Home yeah. Companion. And when we were talking about that movie, we were talking about how the sort of anticipation for that movie was very much like, oh, Lindsay's going to play a stripper. Like, and right. this very kind of leering way that the press and the public sort of, yeah. you know, got to look at her. She was this, she, it was interesting that so much of her tabloid stuff came sort of as a corollary to the Paris Hilton stuff, because like Paris Hilton was all of that, plus the insulation of her family, her money, her wealth, like Paris was never going to ultimately be that hurt by any of that because she was insulated no. by all of this privilege. And Lindsay had none of that. She had a terrible family. She had no real like institutional support whatsoever. And she, you know, she'd already been run through the Disney tween meat yeah, grinder. Right. Exactly. You know, which like talk about a system that'll chew you up and spit you out already. Right. And you now, now look at where, you know, they are like Paris has now managed to like try to reinvent herself and she's got reality shows and all of this and, and she still got all that money and whatever. And then Lindsay's career was never really able to recover. And we'll see this year. She's got her Netflix Christmas movie, which is just like quite a qualifier but i i feel i feel it in the water you, that there's going to be lindsay appreciation you have to do one of those i'm glad those exist as a uh, as a platform for people to crawl back into just to prove that you can show up to set every day yeah and whatever and then okay great then we'll give you you know yeah. whatever the next thing is they're so, planning more movies with her so obviously it was a great experience for all involved so before we get off the subject of meryl though this is our 10th Meryl Streep movie. This is the first performer who has reached the milestone, let's say, of us doing 10 different episodes about them. We have in the past, well, first of all, let's, let's uh, rattle them off because uh, truly it is a, a wild collection of movies. So in, I believe, yes, in order of that, we've done them on the podcast, Lions for Lambs, It's Uh Complicated, Ricky and the Flash, Rendition, Evening, Prime, Suffragette, The House of the Spirits, The River Wild, and now finally, A Prairie Home Companion. Uh Uh, And Joe, is this just because, I mean, it must be, because every single time Meryl appears in a film, there's at least a little bit of a chance she will get nominated for it. Every movie she's made since Sophie's Choice has had some kind of Oscar buzz or another. So, like, we've got a lot to choose from, even though she is the most Oscar-nominated person in history, nominated actor in history. Right. um, There's still... It can't happen every time. And a lot of these movies are, like, from the same year that she had got nominated for something else. So... Mm -hmm. um, But, yeah, Clay, that's, that's exactly the vibe. We have, in the past... When we've gotten to six timers for actors, done a little quiz. I wanted to memorialize this in a little bit of a different way while still kind of gamifying it. And I racked my brain and I tried to figure out something interesting. And we'll see how this goes. I'm not saying that this is going to be our 10 timers thing every time, but we'll see how this goes. So Lord knows we will get to 10 on somebody else. There's a bunch of them hanging around in that kind of general area. So we'll get to some. But anyway, so for Meryl, for these 10 movies, and I'm going to drop the titles as I just listed them in the chat so you can refer to them. Thank you, that. I, uh, I'll just say, I don't even know what the game is yet, but uh, 
I'm not feeling great about going up against Chris in a this, Meryl Streep game. This is going to be real <laughs> informal. It's not going to be super competitive, so don't On worry. On these 10 movies, though, I could go up against anybody. So what I <laughs> did these, was... I don't remember doing. I looked up the release dates for this movie, these movies, and then I looked uh, up the correlating Entertainment Weekly cover at the time. So what I'm going to do shit. is... I'm going to describe what was on the cover of EW the week that uh, I'm going to describe an EW cover and you guys are going to guess what movie, what of these 10 movies was uh, released that week. Okay. All right. So I'll start with, I'll start with a minimal hint. And then by the, if you don't get it by the first hint, I'll give you the second hint. And then the third hint, I'll sort of describe as much of this issue as possible. We're doing. Okay. So, explain the timeline again the timeline yes so the cover of ew is the week that the movie opened yes yes okay so we'll walk through it it's gonna be uh we'll walk through it we'll 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 learn as we go as all right Mm -hmm. so starting for this first one and you can guess or you can wait to guess but we'll sort of Similar to what's the the Barry Lyndon rules in uh, in oh Green the Grass? Lord Bullington rule right. So if you make a guess, you can't guess again until the other person guesses. Okay. All right. So this first one, the cover of EW was Sandra Bullock. Uh, oof. Sky. Ooh, ooh. Mm, mm. Um, House of the Spirits. It's not House of the Spirits. All right. Second hint: the top banner read. James Cameron on Avatar. Is it Suffragette? It's not Suffragette. All right. The third hint is the title of the Sandra Bullock cover story was called Sandra Seriously. And then the subtitle was... It's complicated. It's complicated. Yes. Yeah. That was two huge hits. 2009. 2009. Avatar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two huge hits, 300 million, Oscar buzz for the blind side. And how was your year, said that cover. All right. So Clay... One to nothing. Oh, I should keep score. All right. Uh, all right. Clay, one. Chris. Yeah, I take it back. I'm, I'm going to absolutely destroy Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think this is going to happen. Um, all right. Next movie. Yeah. Cover of this movie was Rob Morrow, John Turturro, Ray Fiennes, and Robert Redford. Oh, this is River Wild. This is the River Wild. Clay gets That's two. quiz show, right? Yes, so the headline was The Whiz Behind Quiz Show. And my third hint was going to be there was a news and notes in this issue, because I managed to look this up, about a Fantastic Four movie that was made on the cheap by a German producer who was trying to retain the rights to Fantastic Four before they were reverted back to Marvel. Um, a story that I had never heard of that sounds absolutely bizarre and insane. And I wanted to... Fantastic uh, Four, the most cursed <laughs> Like IP in Hollywood. Pretty much. All right. Clay's up two to nothing. Next one. The cover was Liam Hemsworth, Jennifer Lawrence, and Josh Hutcherson. Uh, Ricky and the Flash. No. All right. (sighs) Suffragette. Yes. Chris got it Ah. right. Suffragette. The headline was Game Over, an exclusive preview of The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. All right. When did Suffragette come? Was this like 2014 or something? 2015. Uh, the other headlines or uh, notes, there was a definitive history of Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, 
The Martian was the must-list's number one movie. And in news and notes, there was a breakdown of Taylor Swift's squad, which exactly is how I would get it. Because I remember covering news for Vanity Fair that summer, where I had to report on every Taylor concert where she uh, brought different people up to the stage (laughs) when she did style. Um, All right. Two to one in favor of Clay. Next movie. The cover was Johnny Depp cursed name that i had to now put into the cover was johnny depp Hmm. prime uh not prime the (sighs) headline this was an ew holiday movie preview when you do the next clue does that reset or then do i still have to wait no, you still have to wait. Oh, guessing first Sorry. is stupid. I should stop doing that. If we if we if if we if we get to the next hint, then it'll reset. So Is it Lions for Lambs? It is Lions for Lambs. It's, was it for Sweeney Todd? It was for Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Very good. All right. Ties it up at two. Okay. okay. If you don't want to guess on the hint, you can just wait and we can and I'll give you a little, uh-huh. you know, a little bit of time and then I'll just move on to the next hint. So don't feel like you need okay. to guess every hint. All right. Next All right. one. The cover. And I do realize that as we go on, the options are going to thin. So it'll probably be a little bit of process of elimination. Right. But we're just going to play along anyway. All right. The hint. The cover for the next one is Charlize Theron. Mm, looking All at right. the different things. A couple of these, I don't know what year they came out. All right, the hint for the second one is, the headline is, Charlize Sitting Pretty, Why She's Not Afraid of Anything Except Oscar Buzz. Oh, uh, what year was that? I don't know what, is this Prime? This is Prime. Clay gets it, yes. Um, This was Monster, what is that, 2003? It was North Country. Country. North Country. It was 2005. Other headlines were Star Wars Secrets of the New DVD and What's Wrong with Desperate Housewives. Uh, So already in its second season. Another Minnesota movie. That did get nominations, though, didn't it? It did. Charlie's and Frances McDormand. um, McDormand. Yes. Another another iconic Frances McDormand Minnesota movie, I guess. Yeah. So. All right. Next one. The cover is Andrew Lincoln, Melissa McBride, and Norman Reedus. Uh, Ricky and the, the Flash. Name? Melissa McBride. It is Ricky oh. and the Flash. Clay got this one too. Uh, this was first look at the new season of The Walking Dead. Uh, the other sure. hint was the top uh, photos were Stephen Colbert, Ed Helms, Olivia Munn, all roast John Stewart. And then there was a headline that was just VidCon wrap up. So if you remember where you were when uh, VidCon happened that year. So, all right. Next one, the cover, this is the sort of, there's the least hintiness to this, but the cover was Patrick Dempsey. Rendition. Rendition. Chris gets it. Uh, This was the photo issue. So the celebrities uh, listed on the cover for the photo issue were George Clooney, Reese Witherspoon, Brad Pitt, Penelope Cruz, Matt Damon, Tina Fey, Matthew McConaughey, Rihanna, Daniel Craig, Rain Wilson, which is part one of the ones that I think would have maybe been a helpful clue. Terrence Howard and Masi Oka, which I think is the best hint, because like when would Masi Oka have been uh Right. What was that Pacific Rim? Uh Heroes. That would have been uh uh two thousand seven Heroes playing uh Hero. I did not I watch Heroes. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're fine. Speaking of though, is that guy? Where where has he been in anything since then? I don't think so. Not not that I have noticed. Actually, I think he was in a movie semi recently, and now I can't remember what it was. But anyway, Anyway. um, speaking of heroes, though, the cover for the next one is Hayden Panettiere. Evening, evening. Chris gets this one. All right. Oh, it was the show Heroes again. It was literally Heroes. Yes. It was the EW100. I thought you were saying that Hayden Panettiere is one of your heroes. American hero, (laughs) Hayden Panettiere. (laughs) Yeah, no, she was uh, in cheerleader costume on the cover of the EW100. Um, This was also what were uh, the reviews. Owen Gleiberman reviewed Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, The movie's headline was Shia LaBeouf transforms into a box office star. And oh. Greece was on Broadway. All right. Wait, so what's um, the score? Four to four, going in the last two. Oh, so again, God damn if, it. Right. if you've been process of eliminationing it, this is going to be pretty quick. So uh, I hope I remember which two have not been done yet. Okay. I hope you do too. <laughs> All right. The cover for this next one was John Grisham. House, House of, of the, the Spirits. Spirits. Tie! That's an actual tie. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you each a half a point. All right. Um. The John Grisham headline is very funny. It was John Grisham exposed. The $25 million author finally talks about the firm, the Pelican Brief, the client, and his problems with Hollywood. Were his problems that they were giving him too much money? Because I can't imagine (laughs) at that moment. Joe, Joe, there's only one title left. I know. We're just going to talk about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to end in a tie, and this game should end in a tie. It's going to end in a tie. Okay. Yeah, it's going to end in a tie. All right, right. so obviously the last one that we haven't talked about is A Prairie Home Companion. I just want to sort of give a a little sense of who was on the cover of EW the week that A Prairie Home Companion came out. Uh, Cover was Adrian Grenier, Jerry Ferreira, Kevin Dillon, Jeremy Piven, and Kevin Conway. The stars of Entourage. This was the the summer TV preview. We also had reviews for The Breakup. And other can movies, the uh, theater reviews for were the History Boys and the Wedding Singer on Broadway, and the third headline on the cover was Harry Potter, Wolverine, or Bart Simpson. Who's the world's most powerful movie character? Oh, I don't know. That's a weird one, but okay. Wolverine anyway. So now just imagine yourself going to the movies to see a Prairie Home Companion and on the outside in the culture roaring around you, it is entourage fever everywhere. So you're safe in your little theater. You are enjoying this beautiful, delicate movie. All the while, uh, uh, Johnny Drama is is doing shit elsewhere. So Johnny Drama is doing shit. Ari Gold is hugging it out, bitch. Yep, it's, it's yep, all, yep. It's all around you. It's all happening. All right. Um, what? Where else did do we, we so want we to... did a Mer- that was a Meryl Jag. Where, where are we? Yeah. Where were we in the movie? Where were we in the movie? So we all had, right. Well, yeah. we don't. This is the problem with our podcast is we don't really go chronologically through the movie. Uh, okay. Let's let's, let's, let's at least back. say who what won? have we not talked about? Who won? Yeah. Who won? It was a tie. You guys it finished. Was, in oh, tie. it was full tie. Yeah, tie. four and a half to four and a half. Congratulations, okay. you finished in a tie, which is which you know I good like game, that. Chris. Lower than my uh, Uber Eats score, <laughs> like four point nine seven, baby. So let's talk about. So when we get to the point in the movie where Chuck dies, and you get that lovely little scene where Mary Louise Burke sort of like happens upon him, and they're they're having this little clandestine affair that also happens like in the backgrounds of shots and stuff like that you get these little moments of it and ham salad sandwiches known aphrodisiacs 
Right. right. But she she finds Chuck and she starts to cry and then it cuts away to something else or even like maybe like just the camera moves away to something else. And when you go back there, Virginia Madsen's sort of there standing behind him and she's there to comfort um, Mary Louise Burke. And it's again this thing where the degree to which other people can or cannot see this angel character, the dangerous woman, yeah. um, sort of goes in and out. And it's very kind of, uh, you know, it changes. Right. And she, it's again, she gives reveals this... herself to people when she wants right. to. There's that great yeah, they... moment at the end of the movie after she convinces Tommy Lee Jones to take this shortcut to the airport and he gets into his town car to leave and she's there sort of sitting in the back seat with him. And Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, you just segued perfectly into the second time you can spot yes! me in this movie. Okay, good. All right. No. Perfect. <laughs> so the second time, so like I said, I sat in the audience for several days and you cannot spot me in the audience, but uh, yeah. I can maybe tell you about the stuff I saw from the audience uh, when, when we get to those talking about those those bits but yeah so the 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 big story this is my big story from pram all right so all right uh you know we uh, my mom and i were extras we uh actually the first day i went with my dad because it was a weekend and then he had to go to work so i went with my mom the following week i think it was about a total of like nine days or something with with a weekend in there in there um, uh, you know, I was a little movie kid. I was planning to apply to film school and then this production with all these people fucking comes to town. I was like, yeah. Uh, and it was just a thing where it was like in the paper or something, or somebody sent my mom's like, Hey, they're, they're looking for extras for this movie. You should tell. Cool. Clay. So we, I had to go to the production office and like give them a photo of myself and everything. But we were, and I was, we were selected. Not everybody was selected. My, my mom and I were selected, but I was unpaid. Uh, we were not given lunch. This was a really <laughs> low Indie. budget production. Yeah, yeah. Extras holding was not comfortable. Uh, it was. This was. <laughs> you really had to want to be there, or really have nothing else to do to want to be an extra in this movie. Um, uh-huh. But but we went, and it was it was magical. And it was the last night, and it was like two in the morning, and they come, and it's the last day they're going to use background. As I think it was the second to last day of shooting. I think they had one more day with some pickups or something, but this was kind of the last big day of production uh, and the last day for extras. So they cut our group. My mom and I, they're like, group B or whatever, you can go home. Oh. So we we were done. We took our little badges off, whatever. We were yeah. leaving, but it was two in the morning and we were fully awake and we saw that they were, sh- were shooting an exterior bit, which they didn't very few of they're shooting an exterior yeah. scene in front of the in front of the theater we're like we're, let's just go watch let's we'll just go over there we'll stand in the crowd and we'll we'll watch yeah so we're we, we go over there we're watching for a few minutes and like a second ad walks up to us and says are you guys with us and we go mm-hmm yes we are <laughs> there's other extras there's other extras who are still supposed to be there like waiting and we oh, very wow. cheekily this is not, I would, look, this is the, uh, this is the only lie that I've ever told. But I was like, yes. But he didn't say, are you extras in a group that has not been dismissed? He said, no. are you with us? And I felt a real kinship with this production. I said, Spiritually, yes. you were. Yes. We are with you. Yes. Uh, so he pulled my mom and I for this shot. And it is the shot where Tommy Lee Jones comes out of the theater, gets in the town car, drives down the street, and the, and the camera crane, cranes back. Yeah. And the background people in this shot are my mom and I, uh, two other people who come out 20 seconds after we walk out of the theater, and that's it. So we are there. You 
co-starring with Tommy Lee Jones and We Virginia are there Madison. at two in the morning. Yeah, the shot is that Tommy Lee Jones walks out. The camera kind of pans down or cranes down to get the shot you talked about, Joe, with Virginia Madsen rolling the window down. Yeah. Then they drive off, and it and you can see my mom and I exit the theater and walk behind Tommy Lee Jones, but then the camera cranes back as the car moves, and my mom and I are the only people walking down the street. So you can see us just walking down the street as the Amazing. town car goes and takes the corner. But the, the interesting part of this is when, you know, before the shot started, the holding area was the lobby in the theater. And the people in this room at two in the morning were my mom and I, this older couple who were on the other side of the room, a makeup woman, and Tommy Lee Jones. That's amazing. That's the only people who are standing in this room. And we're all, I'm standing 15 feet away, 10 feet away from Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, And and I, um, I've met a lot of famous people because I worked at, a popular video store in Los Angeles and and, sure. and whatever. So I, my, my list of very famous people that I've interacted with is several dozen names long, but like Brad, the fugitive cool. was. And so I've, I've, I've kind of always been like, and I'm Minnesotan. So I was raised to not bother people. Right. Like that's the, the only <laughs> life lesson my mother yep. has ever taught me is don't annoy people. Right. You know, right. don't stand too close behind somebody in line at the grocery store. Don't like that right. is I'm just not going to bother somebody. But this yeah. is I'm like this is Tommy Lee Jones. The Fugitive is my favorite movie from the time I was 10 until I was 15 or whatever. Like this well, uh, and the Fugitive US nothing. This is the star of US Marshals. This is the star of US Marshals. I <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. This is Sam Gerard and he's standing right there. And so had he been in a better mood, <laughs> <laughs> which is a which is a Key caveat That's with Tommy key, Lee Jones. A key component to this, I yeah. maybe would have said if he was had was presenting jovially, I maybe would have said all those something. times that he normally is presenting jovially. Sure, yeah. but yeah. Tommy Lee Jones was not. Pre- he was <laughs> Grumpy Cat himself. He was Grumpy Cat. He had a cold, and the PAs could not find oh, him Kleenex. No. Uh, so PAs oh, were like no. running around trying to find him Kleenex. He was disagreeing. There was originally another extra who w- exited before him, and it kept fucking up the timing, and they just did it over and over and over. Oh, and wow. he's just, like, grumbled, literally grumbling to himself. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> finally, the second AD comes in is like, okay, uh, Robert, or I think they called him Bob. Like, Bob decided to remove, like, I'm, I'm sorry, you can go home. He's going to take you out of the shot. And yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, I think still while this woman was in earshot, goes, he should have cut her 10 takes ago. Like, he's just, <laughs> he, is, he is in a foul TLJ mood. is a rascal. Yeah. Um, but you would expect nothing less. But this gets right, up to, sure. I think this is, this is the key part of the story. And this is okay. so, this is so Minnesotan. And so just, just, so we're there. Uh, I think we only ended up doing... I don't know. After they cut the blonde woman, I think we did maybe three or four more takes. Um, but the whole thing yeah. was maybe 45 minutes, half hour. And I'm just sweating. My mom and I are just trying not to look at Tommy Lee Jones. Because <laughs> um, he's not a tall man, but he is a presence. I imagine so. He's yeah. like a, a statue come to life or something. His, like, yeah. He doesn't look like a real man. Um, so we're there. We're sitting there. He's sniffling over and over. And over. He, so he sneezes. Big, loud gnarly old man sneeze oscar nominated sneeze oscar nominated sneeze and the woman on the other end of who's part of the couple says like god bless you loudly to to tommy jones and he kind of goes yeah it's her last god bless you she ever gave goes like (laughs) 10 a full 10 seconds go by 
And her husband goes, I, I was going to say it, but she said it first. Oh, my God. <laughs> and my mom and I both just like, like, <laughs> Captain Picard face palmed. Like, oh what? On? And Tommy Lee Jones did not. Re- he did not acknowledge that at all. <laughs> uh, and I was so embarrassed on behalf of the people of Minnesota. I was like, I, oh, my God. I almost wanted to follow it up with an apology or something. It was like, I just couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. So that was my big, that was my big Tom Lee Jones. And then the next day, you know, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I was, and I was just fucking stoked on this story. I went on the the IMDb page for the movie on the message board and relayed this story. Oh, my God. Amazing. The next day. But the only response was people who had been waiting there to be called in as extras and had seen my mom and I get pulled out of oh, the thing. Oh, they were they dragged you. like, that was you? You, I, 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 people were like getting you mad dick. at me. Oh and my so God. I, I deleted the comment and was like, oh no. You deleted oh the comment. God. Internet you culture is account. bad news. You, comment boards are yeah. bad. Yeah, message boards are bad. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm going to uh, yeah. do. I'm going to petition whoever's in charge of Amazon X-Ray. We need to add Clay back into... Add Clay's credit into that scene so that when I hover uh, my mouse over the screen when I'm watching it on Amazon, I want to see Clay Keller, Virginia Madsen, and Tom Gary's. If you have the contact that we can add on uh, Twitter, we will cyberbully this person until Clay Keller is adequately credited on uh, Amazon Prime X Ray. Yes. And we were really acting. We had a whole. We were just, we, our action is to walk down the street, and we were not told to imbue our characters with a backstory, but we were like, okay, so we have to leave the show early, uh, because, because uh, you left uh, your other son at home alone and told him to call if something was wrong. And so, like, we were like, motivation, walking down the street, urgency. like, oh, I hope Hanson's yeah. okay. Yeah. It was, this it was reminds me, Clay, I was going to ask you about your experience with Meisner, Stella Adler School, yeah. Circle in the Square. <laughs> Um, right, right, right. It's the only time I I studied for for fifteen years under the tutelage of those masters, and this is the only time I've been able to. You really showed your stuff. <laughs> use those skills. Yeah, walking down that's the street. That's so fantastic. But yeah, so that's my big that's my big Param companion story. But um, you know, I'll I love I'll it. mention the other ones if we you know we'll talk about John C. Riley and all them. And yeah. John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson in this movie are. They're obviously maybe the least essential of that kind of ensemble, but every single time they're on screen, they're very funny together. Bliss. Their their shtick is, you know, obviously they're telling these off-color jokes and they're kind of plaguing the stage manager with what are they going to say? And, and it's all very, again, these very kind of grandpa jokes, kind of, if you have a particular... But also like, like lewd... Yes, I'll like, oh, yeah. show you, you my moonshine like, if you show grandpa. me your jugs. Is, yeah. Is, yes. Yeah. Dirty um, grandpa jokes. Yeah, exactly. They're dirty, dirty grandpa jokes. The one about, like, she asked, uh, she asked, do you want super sex? And he said, I'll take the soup. I'm like, oh, man. Like, that is, uh, <laughs> that's a dirty grandpa joke. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. A dirty grandpa joke. I'll tell you, Joe, uh, I, I sat for a good hour and a half watching them do take after take after take of bad jokes oh no kidding (laughs) i'm sure they had to have done stuff that was way filthier that was never gonna make the movie way filthier and just by the end of that i was like i never want to hear this song again (laughs) for as long (laughs) as i live 
That's funny. I, 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 yeah, oh my god, it was excruciating. There, it was. They, they. This is my other favorite part of this. Was was part of this song. I don't really like that song much. That's my least favorite part of the movie is that song. Yeah. And so the fact that I just watched take after take after take after take. But at some point they had to do a a really complicated new setup for the camera. Uh, They had to like take out a section of chairs and build that platform I was telling you about. It was like a 45 minute reset. Yeah. And instead of leaving the stage, probably because they had nowhere to go, but maybe also just because they are performers, um, John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson just started noodling and it turned into like you know woody harrelson started playing hound dog or something and they started doing elvis songs oh wow sure they start doing elvis songs they do like one or two elvis songs then the band filters on like they had gone off because like okay you know to take take 10 and everybody left except for harrelson and riley but then the band wanders back on and richard dworsky the piano player sits down and starts starts playing and it turns turns and eventually Gerilyn oh, Steele so comes cool. out and oh, they're wow. doing a full blown improvised like fifties and sixties songs. That's wild for the yeah. audience. And it was everybody was having such a good time that you could tell the camera setup they were they were ready to go. The lights were set and everything, and they did like four more songs. <laughs> Oh, After wow. the setup was done, and at some point there's a a little break. There's like a breath in the thing, and you can hear Altman who spent the whole time in the back of the house, uh, uh, the video village with his megaphone. At some point, Alman just gets on the megaphone. He's like, are you finished? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, 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 Bob. And he's like, okay, let's get back to it or whatever he said. Oh my it was, God. Yeah, it was, that was really, really special. That was That's a very amazing. Cool the music in this movie is really fantastic. Every time they cut to, even when it's not one of the like stars in the show, when it's even just like, like Linda and Robin Williams doing oh, their, they're great. Uh, their, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? Bluegrass. I imagine I'm very bad with genres of music. Um, really, really yeah, fantastic like, little songs. Folk bluegrass. Yeah. 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 Um, just tremendous stuff. And again, like even like the little like commercial jingles all have a cool musicality. The song that AP Carter sings, uh, as his kind of you know send off and his his voice starts to to break at the end when he sings uh, L Q have... Jones you mean sorry um yeah the the E P Carter is the credited uh, songwriter that I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the soundtrack page on the I love the on soundtrack IMDb. Mm-hmm. it's wonderful it's a wonderful that Gold Watch and Chain is a beautiful song yeah um we mentioned I love Garrison song... Keeler as a singer too. <laughs> Again, it's just like I, I wish I didn't like. He's so appealing and so strange. And what it's was just, his? Well, what was his big scandal? His that big thing was, and I looked it up so I could remember. It's okay. a sexual it was, harassment thing, right? It was a sexual uh, it was a workplace. It was yeah. not as, from what I understood, it was it was mostly like jokes in emails uh, that were sexually mm. inappropriate about a specific. Person. co-worker like yeah. talking about oh. sex dreams he had about a co-worker oh. and then i guess he did sort of a john lasseter al franken comforted a female co-worker at a function where she had a backless dress and touched okay. the back of touched her back but this was and then but this was the height of me too where they you know people were definitely getting fired uh yeah for things like this uh yeah. and it was but it's after he retired from the show so it didn't get him kicked off right. of Pram companion it got him fired from minnesota public radio after he had retired from 
the program. And then the Prairie Home stuff Companion also came out while there was a slew of a bunch of other people too. So it kind of got buried. It got buried because it was right with all of the wines, the, or the first wave of Weinstein stuff. And, right. And Franken the, and all of that other stuff. Uh, but he, um, Charlie Rose and whatnot. Charlie Rose. And yeah, so he, so he, uh, uh, you know, they almost, I think they almost, uh, uh, they replaced, they got a new, they had a new host of the show anyway. It was Chris Thiele, um, who had been a mu- who had been a musician on the show for a little while. He's, uh, sure, sure, he's sure, in sure. the punch brothers. He's kind of like a musical prodigy from when he was a little kid. Um, but then when he had been hosting Prairie Companion, then when the scandal happened, they changed the name of the show, even though Garrison Keillor was not on it anymore yeah. to live from here. Which sure. is also kind of a cute name, I guess. But then it was it was yeah. canceled within two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, God, do better, do better, men with uh, authority uh, positions. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the the soundtrack to this is uh, this was a movie I remember watching a lot when it was on HBO very shortly after it was new, and. So I remember just a lot of the rhythms of the movie and the songs and whatnot. And it's a really, it's a great movie to sit and like pay active attention to and really like get into what's going on. But it's also a tremendous movie to just sort of like have on and as sort of like sonic wallpaper Mm -hmm. because like the music is really, really fantastic. And yeah, yeah, just really lovely. This was um, obviously there's nothing you can't really pull like original music out of this or whatever for like an awards uh, perspective. But again, you Except wish the there jingles, was a way, maybe. <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess maybe, but you wonder whether some of those had existed on the show on a Prairie home companion, the radio show Probably. beforehand Probably, or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is where I always go back and like the Oscars need to find a way to recognize outstanding achievement in repurposing or you know what i mean you know adapting I mean, that category used to exist you know but it would go to musical adaptations you know and right right this could it is perform- the year dream could it be a Girl, performance so it might not award? have won it anyway it could be a performance award i think there's i i also think of though like soundtracks like drive i always think of which is just like not original music but it is sort of reinterpreting yeah. stuff in a in a i mean you, you could know, do best music supervision way. I think that would be a fantastic way to do it or something. Just again, yeah. they're the Oscars are struggling so hard with their identity at this point of what do we want to put on the show to make people interested? And the one category they're sort of holding onto with both hands is best original song, because it at least allows them to bring performers on. Right. And yet original songs are kind of not where it's at. Mostly there's, there's been examples recently, obviously, uh, and Kanto and Frozen and 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 you know whatnot. Now of the like noteworthy uh, musical moments from Oscars in recent memory, it's like Lady Gaga doing a tribute to the Sound of Music. You know, like why right. haven't why do why are we doing Bond tributes but we don't have like a montage of Bond songs? You know, the Bond tribute in the last Oscars was one of or two Oscars ago, whichever one it was, was one of. They've done them recent two. They've done them in recent, like they did them right, like four years right. ago, and then one last year. There, it was it was nothing. It was a YouTube clip mon, like exactly. Bring out you, you. I mean, Connery died recently, but you like you. I you could have gotten uh, Dalton to the Oscars. You could have gotten Lazenby to the Oscars. 
Craig was already there, right? Something, bring, yeah. Bring out the existing bonds, do a thing. They just did like a clip package. It was, and I look, I love clip packages, but you could do something with it. You could do, a, you could do a giant musical medley of Bond songs. You could have like Big right. Frida come out and do Goldeneye, and it would be amazing. You could, you could have, get, you could have McCartney there. Do you could have Sarah Bareilles do Nobody yes. Does It Better. It's mm-hmm. like. You could. They did nothing. I don't know. Anyway, Chris, do you want to? Joe's gone. <laughs> Joe <laughs> will be back. I'm here. I'm oh, here. Okay. I'm just trying to. I'm. I'm trying to get. I don't know whether how out of sync We're I am. We're troubleshooting. With you guys, and I, I, Joe is the good. Maya Rudolph coming in and like rescuing, saving things. He dropped his pages. He's picking them back up. He's picking them up. Uh, yes. This is this is all. This is live radio. The excitement of live radio, guys. Um, <laughs> Maya, uh, Maya Rudolph in her first movie. And, like, I remember people being like, wow, so Maya Rudolph might actually be a real actress there. And it's, like, just, you know, yeah. it, she's, and then it went she's away. always been amazing. Like, I mean, I, I like, and I mean, I haven't seen it in 15 years, but I remember really liking uh, the Mendez movie. Um, away we go. Away we, we go. Joe and she's... I have talked about it before. Uh, yeah. Joe is a phantom lurking in the background right now, but Joe is absolutely yeah. fist bumping. She's incredible in that she's movie. She's great in that. Um, she was there. Uh, speaking to Joe, brought up the question: kind of how much did PTA do or not do on that set? Mm-hmm. I will say, from my limited, you know, from my experience, uh, I, I saw Alt- Altman was never on stage. He was, I guess, he like twisted his ankle coming down the steps of Mickey's diner oh, early in the shoot. So he was on. He was in a wheelchair from for when I was there. He was in a wheelchair at Video Village. Um, and he was directing with a megaphone, uh, but he was directing. I mean, he was yeah. calling the shots. He was doing whatever he had ADs, you know, talking to the, 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 the cast and the, so, I mean, I saw Paul Thomas Anderson there, mostly mm-hmm. just kind of like hanging out with Maya Rudolph, um, obviously, cause she was pregnant with their first child. I think their first child. And, um, uh, you know, th- that was that I did not see Paul Thomas Anderson doing any directing mm-hmm. uh so at least that's that's what i can con- contribute to that to that question i know his his director's chair said pinch hitter on it um, <laughs> so they were they were having fun but yeah uh from from what i could see altman was directing the movie from what little he's kind uh, paul thomas anderson has discussed it it at least seems like he definitely downplays like the and, and like it seems like partly a gracious thing partly true of like he was there for like contractual obligations and blessed to be able to absorb what right. that environment but people provided. love if, if there is any little uh in for people to have a conspiracy theory they will take it you know paul right, thomas anderson right. was there so he must have secretly direct or like Steven Spielberg was on set during Poltergeist, so he must have secretly directed it. It's like it's right, it's always right. it's always fun to chase the conspiracy. And Joe is back. That's my conspiracy. People love the secret the secret director movies. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, people yeah, love the secret director conspiracies. They're they're uh, they can't get enough of them. All right. So my Wi-Fi is currently in open revolt against me. I'm going to suggest. <laughs> We, I have one more game I wanted to do before we got into IMDb game, and it'll still allow us sure. to talk about uh, maybe odds and ends. So, uh, 
Clay, we have been on your podcast yeah. uh, several times, Screen Drafts. It is a uh, super Absolutely. fun, it is a, a competitive collaboration, as you call it, which is a perfect way of putting it, uh, assembling a seven film draft of whatever. Uh, sometimes seven, sometimes more, as in when you're talking mm-hmm. about Epson of score movies and you talk for five hours. Um, yeah. For this movie, with this fantastic cast, I thought we could do a little mini screen drafts here where we draft a seven-person roster of of performances from this movie between the two oh. of you to uh-huh. do the top seven performances in A Prairie Home Companion. Clay, because you are our guest, you'll get the choice of being drafter A or B. Drafter A gets Mm -hmm. picks 7, 6, 4, and 2. Drafter B gets Mm -hmm. uh, 5, 3, and 1. And we'll try and move through it quickly because uh, uh, we're pushing pushing time here. Um, Does that mean no vetoes? No, you each get one veto. But uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll move it. So, so this like, is performances like you said, we're, within this We are movie. pushing time, and we're about where we do, like, the midway intermission on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for this head Oscar buzz, we're pushing time. For screen drafts, we are, we are luxuriating in the, uh, yeah. in the open road. Yes. Okay. So, Clay, would you like to be drafter A or drafter B? Uh, ooh. I, I will be drafter I, – actually, I want to be drafter B. All right, so you're going to have picks five, three, and one. You want that number one pick. I do want the number one. All right, so Chris, you're going to have pick seven to start, and you'll also have six. So anybody who was who was any performance in a Prairie Home Companion is up for grabs. And are 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 we delivering the picks to you, screen draft style, in the chat? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Throw it in the chat. Oh, I'm first. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you're first. I was ready for Chris to go. All right. So Chris, with the pick for number seven on the This Had Oscar Buzz screen drafts list for performances in A Prairie Home Companion, has selected Maya Rudolph. I mean, we were just talking about her. I I do think that she is a really fun presence in this movie. You could argue she doesn't get much to do other than very... uh, stressed outedly try to shove people onto the stage in this movie and yet i do think I mean, we haven't seen her do it much beyond this movie and paul thomas anderson's movies um in that she can be a bit player in a huge ensemble and still provide something kind of essential to it and provide her own energy and uh i definitely i mean like why while i wouldn't put her at the very top of the list of performances in this movie i do uh think she merits mention uh i like this pick i'm not gonna veto it i i think she's really good in this movie she she is a great straight man there's varying degrees of straight man in this you kind of you like Mm -hmm. yeah you say you have the like harry the harried uh stage manager keeler is plays a bit of a straight man too even though he is bringing his own strange energy he is kind of rebuffing (laughs) the 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 more emotional people who keep trying to come to him with things um she is i think the most straight man where she is just not going to play along with these cartoon people at all. And I think she's sort of mm-hmm. representing uh, sort of uh, a little bit of a defensive thing that the movie is doing, being like, okay, I know some people watching this are going to be like, okay, Kevin Klein is a bit much, but <laughs> this is you. You are Maya Rudolph. <laughs> she is representing that that portion of the audience. And I think she, she does a good job of that. So yeah, I'm fine with this at seven. 
All right. All right. My Rudolph at seven. Chris, you are also making pick number six. All right. Let me take a second gander at the full list of the cast. Taking a gander. Okay. I got to see who I'm going to do here. All right. Pick number six is in. Let me just write it down. With pick number six, Chris has selected Virginia Madsen as the dangerous woman. Um, something about you makes me feel like a dangerous woman, uh, Virginia Madsen. <laughs> um, there, there is a thing about late Altman that is like, okay, he's he's going out on a limb here with some weird stuff, and I do think that this, that just some of the dialogue that she has to say in this movie is like really kind of you know pushing it in a way but i think what i was really impressed by her performance is just kind of the naturalism of it um on this rewatch that like she it, like it's you know it could very easily not work and i think because she is such a very understated and direct and straightforward performer it makes it work in a way um and i also love virginia madsen and it's like post sideways virginia madsen this is maybe the best thing she got to do and the most like well uh, i wanted to mention that the most like risky thing she got to do because it could not work yeah she's great because this was this was kind of her first projects after the Oscar nomination for Sideways was this and then the movie Firewall, the Harrison Ford, Paul Bettany <laughs> movie that Ooh. I did not see. Oh, I saw it. It's nothing. Oh, but I was boy. working right. at a movie theater at the time and I was I was going to see pretty much everything for free. Um, yeah. No, I was going to say it was interesting. I mentioned that Star Tribune article that came out at the conclusion of filming and a lot of it is centered around Virginia Madsen. I was like, why are they talking about Virginia Madsen so much? And then it got to the end. They're like, Virginia Madsen, who, you know, was just Oscar nominated recently for her performance. Like, oh, she was, this was where she was maybe yep. going to be super, yep. super hot. And then, no, not really. And then <clears throat> yeah. she hit a firewall. <laughs> and then she hit a very literal firewall. And then Do next not thing you know, cookies. she was experiencing the- a haunting in Connecticut. Yeah. As a pick... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I am tempted to veto Virginia Madsen. I Really? I think she's a little stiff in this movie. I don't I don't know. I don't Her scene with Keeler is very funny, but it's mostly him. I don't sh- she feels like she's giving a bit of a cold read, which I know isn't true based cuz uh based on this article that I was talking about. That she was really into this movie and she showed up early, like 2 weeks early and was absorbing the atmosphere and I don't love her in this movie and mostly I'm just looking at the list now. Uh Sure. Uh, You're pulling the Ryan remaining. Marker. Oh god. Oh God, what's going to get left off? We're already if, uh, in, if in, in oh God territory. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, Keep in mind, if you veto me, I can draft you, and you can't veto me drafting you. <laughs> I didn't even re- I d- did not even occur to me that I was I was eligible. For wow, this. the clay's um, on the table. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he, but you know, also then Chris could play could play Virginia Madsen higher. He he is himself a dangerous woman right now. Um, yes, this is uh, true. Yeah. Uh, I, in the spirit of Minnesotan non-combativeness, I will I will allow Virginia Madsen to remain <laughs> at number six. But who? Okay, but it's not on it's not on me if some other people 
there's a, like two people. I'm like, well, they're that's that's it for them. So okay, all right. So Clay is allowing yeah. is as if I'm hearing correctly, Clay is allowing the Virginia yeah. Madsen uh, pick to stand. The one line reading of hers that I really liked when she's in that scene with Garrison Keillor, um, she she makes him repeat the joke. And the punchline of this joke about the penguins that she doesn't get. And he says the punchline and she just goes, now, why is that funny? And just the way she says that, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate that. But um, all right. Why is that funny? So Virginia no, Manson at six. Bad. I just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I get I've it. Got... I get it. Yes. You've got pick five. Uh, okay. Uh, I, okay. I, I will not feel bad if Chris vetoes this. And I'm trying to work right. this through in my head, but I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why I'm doing this, and we'll see if we'll see if Chris agrees or not. With pick number five in the Prairie Home Companion performance draft, Clay Keller has selected Gerilyn Steele. Ooh, Gerilyn Steele as herself, who, essentially, yeah, as herself, and also as sort of a representative of the the band. The Williamses, like this, I I wanted somebody who was a genuine cast member, recurring person on the radio show, who is then gets this opportunity to then be in the movie. Um, yep. And I picked I picked Gerilyn, um, uh, because she brings just such a uh, a personality. Like the Williamses are fun, and Robin the uh, has kind of a he has a line in there, kind of that's part of a little comedic bit read banters with uh with with gk but Gerilyn yeah. just fills the screen she comes on she's not a screen performer she's just part of this radio show but when she gets her chance to shine in this movie she brings so much energy and so much warmth and her performances are fantastic and she is such an integral part of the very end you know she's such an integral part of the the feeling you have when you leave the theater, when they, after that scene in Mickey's, when they, for the credits, they go back to that final performance of uh, Red River Valley slash Sweet By and By. And she's singing with Lindsay. Yeah. And there she's, she really is, becomes the kind of the focus of the final moments of the movie. And I think that that is really integral yep. to the, to the, the feeling you have, the smile on your face uh, and the, the mist in your eye as you're filing out of the theater. So I, I think Gerilyn Steele representing the larger group of original players of the Pram Companion, but in particular, her performance, I think, is is key to the movie, and uh, yeah. and I, I would like to see her here on the list. Love that pick. Chris, how do you feel? Under no circumstances would I be vetoing this. That is a great call. Um, I second everything you said, um, and I like that we have an actual uh, performer from the show on the list. All right, great. Chris, you are up next with pick four. Hmm. Several I have a feeling the pleasantries end here. Yeah. <laughs> this is where it gets tricky. Yes. I mean, it's also hard to kind of pick some of them apart. There are two pairs. Which is <sighs> there interesting. There are two pairs. Yes. There are two pairs. With pick number four, Chris has selected John C. Riley, half of one of those two pairs that we were talking about. Chris, why John Keeping- C. Riley? I mean, keeping in mind that we still have list to come, uh, and we're talking about pairs and such. John C. Riley always just like I like John C. Riley when he sings; it just makes me happy. It is basically identical to his natural speaking voice, but I am <laughs> do not care. It's true. Um, uh, 
what a great duo. Neither of them is either the straight man or the like uh, what's the what's the opposite of straight man to the the clown? The, Actually, I don't know. What yeah, is the like, Neither the of them of are. They're It's the they're curvy both, man, guys. That's the curvy it's, it's, man. Yes, right, that's that's right. the actual industry term. It's it's the curvy the man. straight man and no, curvy the man. boot cut man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. The uh, they're both just like almost these link later characters in the background. But like I do think he maybe has a little bit less to not to like uh, you know uh, uh, play my hand with how I'm trying to stack the deck. Maybe has a little bit less than Woody gets to have of this pairing. But John C. Riley is still very wonderful to me. Yeah, John C. Riley. Uh, I am trying to. I definitely. I don't know what you're gonna do, Chris. I would have picked between the two. I may have gone with Harrelson just because of what you said. He gets a little bit more to do, and he does seem a little bit like the smarter one. Uh, John C. Riley, in right. as he's wont to do, plays a bit of of a doofus, especially in that scene where he's trying to figure out the history of how Garrison got into radio, and they're doing the <laughs> yeah, it was Wil Wilbur, yeah, uh, his like dumb like thinking <laughs> silences yeah uh but he's great um i think we had to have one of them on here i'm fine with it being john c riley uh anybody and again like Gerald Steele, he just brings he just emanates this like warm fun energy and it's just fun whenever he's on the screen harrelson's a little bit more of a of a of a little yeah. he's a bit of a trickster he's kind of he does what moment where he literally winks at the camera you know he's He's a little slyer, and I think he does. During the Bad Jokes song, there's one yeah. where he tells a particularly, I think it's one of the ones that's a little bit misogynistic, and he, right. they, the, the, the laugh is uh-huh. kind of like, oh, and he gives a little cheeky, like, hmm? like look at the, at the directly to the camera. <laughs> um, so oh, he's, but, but, but I do love the, the back and forth that Riley does with Keeler at the beginning of the movie, like in this, the second scene. Uh, is great, and he brings a lot to the movie. So I'm I'm fine with 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 Riley here. All right, Four. John Four. C. Riley not getting vetoed. I am now fully the Ryan marker of this uh, situation where I am looking at this list and I am sweating because someone's getting left off of this. All right, Clay, you have pick number three. Send her in when you're ready. Oh, I'm torn now. I had typed in and I was about to hit enter, and now I'm. Uh... Nope. Okay, I'm switching. All right. Uh, but so but this is really Switching this on would, the fly. Yeah, yeah. This would be my this would be my two. And I feel like a kind of by a margin. But I let's see. Okay. All right. But I'm not I'm not I'm gonna play it safe. I'm gonna do it here at three. All right. The pick is in. I'm writing it down. With pick number three in the Prairie Home Companion performance draft, Clay has selected Kevin Klein as Guy Noir. Kevin Klein. We've barely talked about Kevin Klein yet, but he is maybe the second most present character in the movie. I mean, he's he opens and closes the movie with yeah. his narrations. He is like chasing Virginia Madsen around. He has interactions with every single character. Um, he's the one who talks to Tommy Lee Jones there when Tommy Lee Jones shows up at the end. Like uh, Kevin Klein is Guy Noir is is really you know like you said, kind of Virginia Madsen was. He's also sort of the audience is kind of following behind him as he walks around and interacts with people and does his little bits. And, um, and he is also just very funny. It is a full blown Kevin Klein type character and Kevin Klein is playing it 
his his dialogue his line deliveries are funny he's he's inserting all of this little physical humor all of his little bits where he's tripping on things and then recovering and trying to look cool or he's has this recurring thing where he keeps getting his fingers caught in different <laughs> different doors and stuff i yes. think <laughs> You know, he's not he's not on stage singing until the end of the movie when he has his beautiful little piano moment with the bust of John uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, even though he is himself, you know, like f- of the stage. Um, I think he is the f- the humor. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in the movie, but I think he is kind of the comedic through line. And I love the energy he brings. And uh, I love his narration. I think he is, we haven't talked about him much because like I said, he's not doing musical numbers or whatever, but he, I think he's really integral to the movie. So uh, Kevin Klein is my pick at number three. Yeah. I love Kevin Klein in this movie. I think he's tremendously funny. Again, you mentioned the energy that he brings this kind of aloof yet um, trying to maintain this facade of being the like, in charge of security or whatever right. for this thing, this, this illusion that there is um, any kind of control over where this whole enterprise is going. And yeah. I think he's very, I funny. love his bit at the very end of the movie. There's 10 minutes left in the show, the final show. And he's like, all right, I've got a plan. Uh, you know, timely Jones is part of this band. I think if we get them all together for a reunion here on the show, we can <laughs> save the day. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. That and and his so funny. his bit at the very end with Virginia Madsen, where he's subtly pointing. I mean, he just he is so dialed in, and he's such a natural comedic performer that. Um, and we and after this, yeah. we didn't. What did we get from him after this? A couple of things here and there, and. I don't know. I feel like this is kind of his. He one won of a his Tony last... after this. I yeah. know that. And he was in Last yeah. Vegas, but I think this is like <laughs> one of his yeah. one of his last really good c- comedic performances. Yeah. Chris is. I'm just waiting for Chris to fucking swoop in with the. With oh the... man! I know. I know. He's lurking. He's lurking. I don't even know if Kevin Klein would have been on my seven. Um, I maybe uh, like I I I fully support your enthusiasm. I don't know if I agree, but I I'm not gonna veto it. Okay, he is like I think just in he's terms probably of, oh, the lead of the movie in terms of like lines. He is maybe the lead of the movie. Yeah, yeah, he is. If yeah. there is a protagonist in the movie, it probably is him. Because he's the only one who has a plot, like for yeah. as as yeah. such as it is, he has a a driving forward narrative thing that he's trying to like do. Yeah. All right, so Chris, you are not vetoing. Okay, who I snuck it by. Chris was so quiet the whole time. I was like, are... <laughs> because I was weighing if I That's wanted to. So veto nervous. It or not. Um, no, I'm not going to veto it. How could I ever veto Kevin Klein, a performer who I love? Um, I guess I maybe when I think of this movie, see him as a little essential, but you've, you made such a strong argument that I will not veto. Whew. It's scary to be on this side of it. All right, Chris, you have pick number two. Chris has sent in his pick already with pick number two in the Prayer Home Companion draft. Chris has selected Lily Tomlin as Rhonda Johnson. I mean... You have to have a quintessential, if not the quintessential Altman performer on this list and towards the top of it. Um, I mean, it's obviously in duet with Meryl. And it's like, it's interesting that their emotional 
rhythms in performance. I think you especially see this in what Tomlin is doing of like, she's usually taking the bottom harmony. And I think you kind of, if I can use kind of maybe a crunchy metaphor, you can see that in her acting choices too. She's the more grounded. She's the leveling of the two of them. Uh, even like her emotion when they're singing the song about their mother is much more understated, but you can tell that she's the one having like a rich kind of emotional experience that like is kept to her own. Um, the whole uh, story about their sister Wanda getting arrested for <laughs> accidentally stealing a donut. Like if, if, while Meryl's like kind of, harrowed by it Lily Tomlin like when she jumps in and has an observation about it it's so fucking funny um uh, yeah just uh, yeah. just wonderful her voice sounds great uh her she reminds me so much of my grandmother in this movie um I love her I love Lily Tomlin Lily Tomlin is great I think had I picked between the Johnson sisters, I would have maybe defaulted to Meryl. But everything you're saying uh, is irrefutable. I mean, yes, as soon as you said we needed because she really is. She is kind of the only major Altman stable person in this. I think LQ Jones maybe pops up in one or two of the previous or one of the previous ones. Maybe LQ Jones also. How fucking wild is it that Lyle Lovett is not in this movie? Lyle Lovett is not in this movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's a few people it's surprising are not in this movie. Uh, uh, LQ Jones, by the way, the director of a man or uh, a boy and his dog. Have you guys seen a boy and his dog? No, it is a wackadoo no. psychedelic seventies post-apocalypse movie where a a teenage Don Johnson is wandering the apocalypse looking for a woman to have sex with and he's being led around by his um uh, it's a documentary uh, right by his by his telepathic dog it's um it's a trip it is a trip um anyway um uh wow. yes i agree with everything chris said w- what i appreciate about lily tomlin in this movie is that meryl is doing i think i think a very good minnesota lady kind of a very guileless innocent sweet maybe a little bit slow on the uptake minnesota lady her accent is really good she's got all the, oh yeah you know it's very sweet just a very sweet lady i love meryl's bit her funniest bit is at the end when she's talking about the bus she bought for the tour and <laughs> Lindsay lohan is like your financials are are a mess yes. and she's meryl always she does a great she's so she likes to touch her face a lot in everything but she does this great thing where she like goes like this like looking at the financials and like makes a little like like uh, a ledge with her hands to like put her like rest her chin on and then she goes so so can i keep the bus or <laughs> and she's got those she's got That's these great. great moments these little things but lily talman i like that she is doing a a very different and a, and kind of a less archetypal but very real midwestern woman that you find chris you said she reminded you of her of of your grandmother where she uh you know does love the old traditions and everything but you could see maybe she was got you know went to a couple of uh you know peace and love uh park gatherings in the 60s or she's a little (laughs) bit more more worldly a little bit sassier i love when they start doing one of the songs and she covers the mic and turns to the band and says, if you sons of bitches speed up, I'm going to kill you. Whatever she says. <laughs> um, 
But I think she is, that's a very honest, uh, you know, per, you know, that's a real person that she plays. And I think it's not what people would assume. And it balances so beautifully with the other side of the coin, which is Meryl. Uh, so I, I do think that Lily Tomlin brings an essential energy to this. And a, she has some great punchlines that punctuate scenes like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to lend you my car anytime yeah. soon or whatever she says uh, when she's <laughs> talking about the tailpipe stuff. Um, Holes in his tailpipe. Oh, yeah. his tailpipe. I think she is, in, like Chris said, integral to the movie and, and imp- really important. Like, I, I think the movie would maybe, the energy that Meryl is bringing is maybe found in other places, maybe a little bit, but I don't know if what Lily Tomlin is doing is represented by anybody else on the list. So I think, yeah, she is, she's really important. All right. All right. Lily Tomlin, uh, ensconced in number two, Clay, you are left with our number one pick. Clay Keller with the number one pick has selected as GK, uh, Garrison Keeler himself with the number one selection in the Prairie Home Companion draft. Clay, Defend this. No one likes drafting a canceled person. (laughs) (laughs) However, it's Prairie Home Companion. It is, it is as much as anything, a, a wholly created thing that is born out of one person's imagination and their unique personality has created this larger unique personality of this entire thing. Like it's without... GK without Garrison Keeler, this could be this is anything. This is anywhere. This is any town radio show. It's it's become so much more. It's charming, becomes so much more anonymous. Like you uh, outside of the writing part of it, the incredible you you we've talked about it. Garrison Keeler brings an energy and a look. He's got such a look to him to this movie that um. I've never seen anywhere else. It is utterly unique. And also, he wasn't a screen actor, you know, like like Gerald Steele. Not right. not a screen actor. And he comes in and he is sharing scenes with the greatest screen actors of a generation. And you, he never seems like he is outpaced or outmatched yeah. or underwater. Uh, he is fully himself and fully in in the scenes with these people. His line deliveries are perfect, you know, Everything he says is funny and so specific. And yeah, you know, he's carrying on a romantic thing with with Meryl. Meryl Streep is throwing all of her Meryl Streep energy at him. And he is rolling yep. with it. And um, and creates a unique... His scene with Lindsay Lohan where he softens and his eyes open up a little bit more. And he's kind of uh, talking about how, mm-hmm. you know, the the accident thing that he did that ended up leading to her being born is the most beautiful thing he ever did. Like his scene with the dangerous woman where she sits down and she's like, I'm the angel of death and it cuts to him and he's just holding the apple and his eyes are like, (laughs) (laughs) you would not know if you didn't know the backstory, you would not know that he wasn't a great actor who is just part of this generation of great actors, which is, you know, uh, you know, he was abused his position of power and uh, whatever in in real life uh, in in a way that is uh, very disappointing. Uh, but in this movie, I just this isn't this movie without this performance, and I I had to put him at number one. All right, you make a very strong case. You have made a strong case, and you you've been uh, very complimentary in a lot of ways that I agree with. I'm the, my thing is I'm not quite sure that I agree that this movie isn't this movie without his 
performance, the performance he's giving. And I, I certainly don't think that it's necessarily one of those things where someone is just playing themselves and it's not a performance. And yet, I don't necessarily think that he is as integral as several other people in the cast, so I'm going to veto I, it. Chris Vito's oh, number one. Is... I, Sorry. Look, I can't, I can't push back against vetoing a canceled person, but... I mean, that's not why I veto but it's, it. But it's... But... Okay, yeah, but I... Oh, man. I, it, it's so often... Again, it is so much about how people play off of him and... and Though his performance, his his uh, uh, seemingly aloof but occasionally, you know, uh, open open performance that he gives, and his just his voice, the way it resets throughout the the radio show, back to him and his steady calm, you know, his weird voice that he does. I just the the rhythm of this thing and the tone of this thing is totally different. If it's not him, that it keeps, uh, you know, the gravity keeps going back to. All right. Okay. But he's vetoed. So right. now what the fuck Sorry. do I do? Well, I don't. I literally, I, I was, Chris, we're on such different pages with this. I was going between <laughs> him and Kevin Klein for my number one. Though That was the oh, decision okay. I was making. Whatever uh, you pick, it's set in stone, though, because Chris is out of vetoes. So. Uh, I mean, this is. I really do think this is madness. Um, Pick yourself. Pick yourself. <laughs> I, I'm taking this seriously, Chris. <laughs> I am always the chaos agent. Uh, I don't know. This no, list is not going to have Keeler on it, but it has Virginia Madsen, which is really spinning. All right. Um, okay. All right. All right. Clay's going to make his pick. Under protest, perhaps. We'll see. The IOC will be uh, will be informed and will make a ruling on this. Yeah. All right. With the number one pick as a replacement for Garrison Keillor, Clay Keller has selected the great Meryl Streep. I was very, very interested that we would have a Prairie Home Companion performance draft and not have Meryl Streep. So she is on it. Uh uh, this this list has been the list making has been as satisfyingly chaotic as I would have hoped. But Clay, uh, you picked Meryl as your replacement. Let's yeah. hear it. Yeah, I mean, I certainly wanted Meryl on the list. Like I said, I would have picked her over Tomlin, probably. That's why the veto happened. <laughs> uh, I said too much. I said too much. Um, uh, I, I, yeah. Um, no, Meryl's great. I mean, I've, I've praised Meryl a bunch over the course of this episode. I yeah. think she, she, um, she, and then her interplay with, with, you know, Keeler is the, I think, what makes Keeler's, uh, personality and the way he is performing and grounding everything and imbuing it with this very Minnesotan, uh, you know, uh, don't show your emotions type of thing. And then Meryl is the, is the yin to that. Yeah to that yang she is the other side she is the really sweet really uh complimentary really more open type of minnesotan person usually a woman but you know it can be anybody now um but she is uh uh bringing that energy and that's i think those two are really important but really if there is a beating heart if there's a heart of this thing if there's someone who makes me cry three times over the course of the movie it's meryl Street. yeah uh, certain um her or like i said all of her little 
intricacies and vagaries of her of her characterization are so specific and so um well observed uh and then her singing is is so passionate and the acting she does while she's singing is so uh moving just the way the 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 way she can just make her you know eyes well up with tears at a particular line in a song that you can tell is making her think of something her mother did or something she's she is i mean she's front and center on the poster because she's meryl but i think she would have been there kind of anyway because she is she's the pumping heart of the movie um which every movie needs this movie needs a pumping heart Uh, i think you know keeler is the really unique uh very different more more uh closed off emotional element to the movie but meryl is is what who makes you the scene where they're doing the duct tape ad read and she keeps trying to make it personal (laughs) between them and he so rebuffs that where she eventually works herself up into she's like what do you what do you want or what do you need and he just says i need duct tape yeah and uh it's so fun i love the beginning of that too which is and this is such great character work between her and tomlin is tomlin is the more clever one she's she's in on the improv she starts the thing where she's fucking with the the, the sound yes. guy the sound effects guy yep. and then and then and then meryl walks in and she's got this big grin on her face and she's like oh people are having fun yep. and she she, for the, <laughs> she can't she do tries it. to she tries to jump in and she yep. goes like oh and, uh, and oh and and, the, and they keep going yep. and she can't find a spot it's, to jump in and it's then when great. she does jump in, the first thing she says is kind of stupid, and you're like, it's yep. just... It's, Relatable queen. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is... Uh, the character work between the two of them is really, really... You, it has so much you, it just implied and, uh, you know, it, imbued inherent backstory to it that they don't need to, you know, go through yeah. uh, in detail to really feel it, even though they do, and it's wonderful when they do. But Yeah. Yeah, so I am totally fine with the Johnson sisters, Rhonda and Yolanda, uh being at the top, top of the list. list. All right. Before we move on to the rest of this, though, um, I just want to put a cap on the actor draft to to run it down for the listeners. So, uh, the the final draft was Maya Rudolph at seven, Virginia Madsen at six, Geraldine Steele at five, John C. Riley at four, Kevin Klein at three, Lily Tomlin at two, and Meryl Streep at one. I thought that was a very fun little mini draft. Um, Chris, final thoughts before we move into uh, uh, elsewhere. I would just maybe like just to bring the we didn't do much of the Oscar conversation for this. Obviously, this kind of got eclipsed because this is the year of Devil Wears Prada. But they at least in early on in the season, you know, before fall kind of kicked in, they were talked about in tandem and partly because there was some initial confusion slash maybe hesitation on the campaign's part, like if there would even be one for Meryl for Devil Wears Prada and whether she would be placed in lead or supporting. I think ultimately they did the right thing, but maybe some of that hesitation kept, you know, Meryl in supporting for this movie kind of taking off. We'd seen only four years previous uh, what happens when you try to get Meryl in lead and supporting and one only happens. So I think that might've ultimately happened anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that this movie wasn't received as warmly as I think it has. It is now because this movie definitely has its fans and it has it, it's Altman's sp- fans specifically yeah. because, and maybe this is me as someone who kind of hates this Oscar year quite a bit. Um, oh, six, even though yeah. I love that it is finally Scorsese's year. Oh, six is a bad Oscar year. And I think 
one of the things that would have made me like it more is if there was a posthumous nomination for Robert Altman. I don't think there's been a posthumous director nomination unless Kislovsky. Was no, I don't. By that I time? don't think he was. I don't believe so, but I could be wrong. Okay, Did he get nominated for Red. For Red, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Chris, you make a good point about the the uh, wanting for a posthumous nomination for Altman. It would, I believe, have been a first. He did get nominated at the Independent Spirit Awards that year for Best Director, uh, which is an interesting little lineup. The movie's only nomination at Spirit Awards. Yeah. Nominated alongside... That was interesting. Little Miss Sunshine was the big winner at the Spirits that year, where a lot of people were very, like, grumble, grumble about that movie. I really loved that movie, so I kind of defended it. Um, director went to Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris for that movie, who to me will always be the directors of the Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight video. They are uh, uh, music video <laughs> luminaries for me. Uh, other nominees were Ryan Fleck for Half Nelson and Karen Moncrief for The Dead Girl and Soderbergh for Bubble. That was his year where he did The Good German and Bubble in the same year. And uh, one was good and one was not, but I don't think anybody really saw either one of them. <laughs> I saw Good German in theaters. I did too. I don't remember much about it, but I definitely did see it. It's a weird one. Oscar nominee, The Good German. Otherwise, we could definitely yeah. talk about that. Movie. What did that get nominated for? Score. Oh, Thomas Newman. Yeah. Score is a wild card. It's the reason why we can't do so many Across movies. the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a snag for us. Angela's Ashes, The Birdcage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any movie that John Williams was involved in is ineligible. Basically, for this show. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, the most nominated, the most nominated person. You guys know this, John Williams, in the history of the. Oscar. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Didn't wasn't there a thing that this whatever movie he's working on now is it Fableman's? Is it going to be his last uh, score? He said it's going to be his last full. He score. said yeah. that before though. But he's also. But now he's ninety. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where things go. Chris, since I'm glitching like crazy, do you want to take over MC duties for the IMDb game? Yeah, absolutely. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Clay, as our guest, you get to decide not only if you would like to give or guess first, but who you are giving and guessing from we'll go clockwise on my screen so i'll go to joe but chris why don't you go to me first okay so uh joe brought up little miss sunshine which in in terms of the awards race this movie did fared best in terms of being an ensemble nominee which probably doesn't surprise anybody however little miss sunshine pretty much beat it uh in a lot of the instances where it was nominated we have done a lot of uh ensemble members from Little Miss Sunshine uh, for the IMDb game. However, one person we have not done is Mr. Steve Carell. Oh! There is one uh, television. Uh-huh. Okay. The Office? The Office, correct. Alright, got the TV. Um, The Office, I'm gonna go... Wait, wh- which ones do you have to, to... You said voice ones you have to point out? Yes, so there are no so there voice are no voice ones. Okay, so no Gru. I know no that Gru. Gru has risen, 
Gru will come again. He's currently but rising. But Gru yeah. is not on his own. I'm in the middle of watching all of the Minions movies because we're doing that series, uh, a draft of that on the Patreon for screen drafts. Wow. So I've been I- immersed in Gru. <laughs> Sponsored by Chiquita Bananas. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I got The Office. I'm going to say Foxcatcher. Correct. His Oscar nomination. Okay. Um, Crazy Stupid Love. Incorrect. Fuck. Um... I think he is the only person on the Crazy Stupid Love poster who doesn't have it in their known form. I feel like I see that poster all the time on IMDb. Yeah. Um, okay, so no Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, Dan in real life? Incorrect. No Dan in real life. So your years are 2005 and 2015. Is 2005... No. That would have been later. Uh, oh, two, the 40-year-old virgin. 40-year-old version. Virgin. Uh, Jesus. Um, I mean, I what was like the other one? 2015? Uh, yes, 2015. 2015, Carell would have been... Oh, this is was... a movie that has stumped me on other people before. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, is he... Uh... He is on the poster for this movie, too. That's the thing about Steve Carell is I feel like he's probably on the poster for most of his movies. Um, I, I, unless I, uh, I might have to tap out unless you give more hints. He, uh, I'll give you more clues. He's one of four male actors on this poster. One of the four was Oscar nominated for this movie. Four male actors and one of them was Oscar nominated for the movie. The other two, I'm pretty Jesus. sure if I told you that they were in the movie, you would call me a liar. This is a Best Picture nominee. Okay, so I was That's what I was trying to think. Is it a, is it a Best Picture nominee? Um, I just keep going back to, but he wasn't in... He wasn't in Spotlight. No, he but it's not. that year. No. From okay. a director who has since directed two more Best Picture nominees... Neither of which people really like all that much. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't know. This is just going to be dead air. This is going to be silence on the uh, radio, guys. I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. You're going to get here. it. I know you're going to okay. get it. Um, Steve Carell is married to an Oscar winning actress in this movie. Um, He's married to Marissa Tomei. Oh, that's not going to help. That's the most obscure fact about this movie. I always forget that. Oh, I I remember people Tomei being outraged that that's yes. the best thing that Mar- that they Marissa Tomei wasn't in a better role. Everybody um, has insane uh, haircuts on this on poster. A- um Oh, I fucking hate this movie. The Big Short. <laughs> yes, thank you for hating it. I hate it too. Oh. Um You should have said it was a very expensive PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> then I probably would have gotten it. It's not really a movie. A very expensive condescending PowerPoint. Yes. Ca- oh, PowerPoint. big short. Ugh, ugh, yeah. Yep, I can see why that's a stumper. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I did badly, but I feel okay about that. You that got out of it. Okay. You got you out of it a lot. Right. That's fine. Yeah. It's better that we forget the big short. I think so. Uh, so I'm going. So I'm going now to yes. Joe. Yes. So, Joe, I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. I, my f- very first thought for this uh, wa- is uh, one of my favorite performers who I was kind of shocked wasn't on the list you sent me. Uh, but then I thought of someone who is more connected 
thematically to Prairie Home Companion. So do you want the one who's one of my personal favorites or do you want the person who is and they will book I think you for to your uh, to your interest, I think they are probably equal, maybe one a little bit more than the other. But do you want the one that is sort of related to the movie or the one who is one of my personal faves? Give me one of your personal faves. Okay. Juliette Binoche. Oh, I love Juliette Binoche. Oh. Okay. I couldn't believe Juliette Binoche was not on the uh, on the list yet. She might have been uh, in our first hundred yeah. episodes. We've sort of cut off uh, the first half in terms of eligibility just because uh we don't want to handicap our guests too much ah uh, uh, but so but you you don't think you've done if we have this, i don't remember for you? if we have i do okay. not remember so um okay. my memory is very if we have i still need us to do it again because i've pulled it up all to, right uh i would imagine so chris you're you're proctoring this though chris or am i I you am. are, okay. you All are. Right. But I, if we have to speed it, if we have to push it along with clues, I'll, I, I, I'll jump in with right. clues for you okay. too. So yes, one of my favorite actresses ever. If you ever are doing a, uh, a Julie Binoche movie in the future, you've got my email. All right. Well, uh, un- unlike <laughs> Clay, I will not guess Dan in real life for Julie Binoche. Um, <laughs> I think, I think as recently as five years ago, Dan in real life. I believe was you. On I believe the top you. Four. Yeah. For Corel, but not for not for Benoche. Okay, no. um, I, the English patient, I imagine, must be there. Yes, English patient is there. Her her Oscar win is. Speaking of Kislowski, is Three Colors Blue on there? Three Colors Blue is uh, above my head here in my Zoom window, but no, it is not on her IMDb top four. Oh oh oh! You pointed. You pointed. I blue. I've got the laser disc framed of blue, white, and red. Oh, phenomenal! Okay, listeners, you can't see this, but uh, he's he's, he's, there. There they are. Okay, Um, it looks great. uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. Yep. Clouds of Sils Maria is on there. I'm gonna take a, a a flyer on. One of her American uh, blockbuster forays and say Godzilla. Godzilla is not in the top four. Julia Binoche shows up in that movie just to die. Just to die. <laughs> do we start doing clues All now? Right, or so do, I get do, years. Do, do uh, Joe gets the years. Years. Now. Okay. So the got, years we have. We have the year 2000 and the year 2017. 2000. For Juliet Binoche would be what was happening? My goodness, Joseph Reed. Is this an I'm obvious surprised one? that he hasn't gotten this one? You're really disappointing oh, me right now. I don't I don't really love this movie. I should have gotten it because of Oscar wise. It's uh it's Chocolat. Yeah. Right. Okay. It is Chocolat. You should watch it again. Chocolat is wonderful. <laughs> I, is okay. English patient, Clouds of Souls right. Maria, Chocolat, and we've got twenty seventeen. So, Justice for Chocolat. Everybody shits on that movie, and it's nice. Sils Maria was 2014, or at least played Tiff 2014. 2014 is the date on IMDb, yeah. Is it like, is it Let the Sun Shine In? It is not, but that's about the right year, I think. Yeah, no, it is not. Is Let it the High Life? It is not High Life. What am I missing? Let's do a clue. Is it clue time, Chris? Can I do a clue? Yeah, give me a clue. Yeah, you can throw you out a clue. Were, you were on the right uh, path with one of her blockbuster entries. Oh. Is it 
a different high life. No, she's only in the one Godzilla movie. Genre wise, okay. She dies in the first. Yeah, I was gonna say. I don't think she. I don't think she shows up in the next Godzilla. Well, she comes back as Mothra. Right. Right. Oh, she is. She is Mothra. Okay, I forgot. Yes. Yes. They. They did motion capture, and she's Mothra. (laughs) <laughs> all right so joe avatar situation okay 2017 so another blockbuster, blockbuster science fiction and and chris gave you the the clue that it's another science fiction movie okay um <laughs> gosh <laughs> franchise it is a it, uh they wanted well, one yeah it was a yeah a long it's, it's a known ip though a long in development project that we talked about uh canceled people there are also canceled movies oh and it's also kind of funny i'll give you another clue yeah uh the movie the movie that chloe moretz is is in in clouds of souls maria (laughs) yeah bears a striking visual resemblance to this film that would come out three years later and feature julia binoche is she in valerian no. I guess a lot of sci-fi no. movies have women in, like, tight-fitting body armor cats. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm flopping on this. I'm so flopping on this. Um, This is starring somebody... The lead of this movie got into some hot water for this movie for trying to justify why they were cast in this role. Oh, is it the... the um, oh, what's the title of this movie? The ScarJo movie? Um... Ghost, ghost in yes. the uh, ghost. Uh, what is it? Um, ghost, ghost in the shell. In the shell. Ghost in the you shell. I was going to say ghost in the machine, but that's something else. Ghost in the shell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had no ghost idea she was shell. in that movie. I got to not a clue. She plays Doctor Doctor Willette. I, I tell sure. you, I punched in Julie Julie Binoche, and I saw Ghost in the Shell in the top four, and I was like, Oh, I'm doing Julie. Binoche. That is wild. <laughs> that's insane. No, okay. Had no idea. I, I want to posit that this is maybe the ideal known for. Like, we we always, like, play, like, you want, like, the justifiable good things to be the known for. But I think for the game's purposes, the ideal known for is, like, uh, an Oscar win, something they're super known for, something you would hope would be there but wouldn't think it would be, like like Cloud of Maria, and then something unhinged. (laughs) And I would say Juliette Binoche right here has yeah, that's perfect. The ideal, that's the perfect. Ideal known for. Do you want to know who your other option would have been, Joe? Sure, but let's not guess it because I want. Well, we can save it for a future one. But who would it have been? Well, save for a future one. The other one was uh, I picked a a uh, a Minnesotan. Oh, okay. And so another person who I was shocked had not been done yet, Miss Judy Garland. Oh, we've never done Judy Garland. Uh... That. I think I have almost pulled Judy Garland for yeah. something, maybe when we did a Renee Zellweger let's, movie, because her, her known for is... Let's hold that one in the holster, though. That'll be a good one. Maybe when you're on again, Clay, you can remember, and uh, uh, and Ooh. we can do that. All right. Happy to. Chris, for you, for me. I delved into the Altman archives, and because we have Clay on, I wanted to talk about a movie that we've talked about on both of these podcasts, which is Dr. T and the Women. <laughs> uh, delved into that cast, and I excavated... 
uh, a woman who I often refer to as my cousin, even though we are not related in any way, Miss Tara Reed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Oh, this is not going to be easy. Um, Josie and the Pussycats. No, unfortunately, not Josie and the Pussycats. Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Um, American Pie. American Pie. That is correct. The question is, it are there more American Pies? Um, they made several American Pies, Chris. Well, I, but in her known for. Um, Chris, knowing me, you know that I don't, I don't like to do filmographies that are choked with franchises because I feel like that is boring. Yeah, so. I don't either. Unless it's like the. I, second and fourth of a seven movie franchise because then it's well, evil i considered doing like vin diesel and just being like which four <laughs> of the fast i'm sure triple x is in there did, did or they, like yep. the pacifier i bet it's triple x and fast five and the original fast and the furious and maybe right, the most sure. recent one um okay tara reed uh calling back to our s cinema score screen drafts i'm gonna guess alone in the dark no not alone in the dark all right okay. so you're gonna get years your missing years are 1998, another 1998, and then 2002. One of the 98s would have been my first guess. She's on the poster of three of these four movies, one of which you've oh, already guessed, American Pie. I should have called back to our categories. One of the 98s is Big Lebowski. It is Big Lebowski, yep. Because we always pulled her for Coen Brothers stars. Um, yep. Is the other 98 Urban Legend? Yes, it is. Urban Legend. Okay. Yep. And then O2, I would have guessed one of the American Pies, but I don't think you would have pulled it if there's two American Pies on there. Nope. Um, it is not. Plus, it's not O2. So American Pie 2 is O1, which you know of because it's a movie that they go to see in the secret 9-11 movie, yeah. uh, uh, Remember Me. <laughs> all right she's on the poster of this one the male star is somebody uh you can't stand um ryan reynolds ryan reynolds yes what's the movie with ryan reynolds and her um this saving Sil not saving silverman but uh van wilder van wilder exactly there 2002's van wilder well done good job justice for josie and the pussycats on all fronts yes i agree i absolutely agree yeah, that is a fun game, guys. That's that's, that's oh, a thank good you. thing you guys cooked up. I, I enjoy the IMDb game immensely. Yeah. I was not correct about Vin Diesel. There's a voice performance on his that, Really? Uh, oh, oh Groot, Groot, obviously. Yeah. 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 Very yeah. yeah, it's Yeah. He's got Guardians on there. Um uh and the two Fast and Furious are the original and seven. Sure. Um, that makes sense. What qualifies for Oscar buzz? Does Vin Diesel repeatedly declaring that the newest Fast and Furious movie will win Best Picture count as Oscar buzz? We've had people ask us that. No. No. <laughs> okay. I would. I would talk about Maybe it. Maybe if Vin use that Diesel worked for Gold Derby, but no. <laughs> All right, Clay, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Yeah. This was super fun. Any last tidbits about the movie you want to throw out there before we uh, we say goodbye? Are there any last tidbits? Um, not, not really. I mean, uh, yeah, I saw them play... Uh, bad jokes a million times i saw one of the meryl and lily tomlin performances but i can't remember if it was the really sad one about the mom or if it was uh yeah in, in my minnesota home but i saw them i saw them do one of their duets 
Um, but yeah, no, it was just, it was a very, very, very exciting thing for me, especially at that age, you know, like I said, just the, the, the thing that was, you know, I, I, the two things I was doing was, you know, I was obsessed with doing high school theater. I just, you know, I just finished my junior year of high school and been in the spring musical and I was just, I love stage and musical stuff. And then I wanted to go to film school and this was just the kind of the intersection of those two things. And little did I know, you know, that radio or, you know, vocal right. entertainment uh, was going to be a big part of my life in the future as well. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a movie that means a lot to me and I genuinely enjoy it. And uh, I'm I'm had an absolute blast talking to you guys. About uh, it. So thank thanks you so for, much for thanks for being me. here with us. Clay. We, a pleasure. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and we'll definitely have you back on again. But uh, that is our episode, uh, listeners. If you want more, this had Oscar Buzz. You can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore Buzz. Clay Keller, where can the listeners find you and your various uh, uh, internet projects? Yeah, sure. So uh, I am on social media at Clay Keller, basically on everything. I was able to lock lock that one down early. Uh, you know, when you've been on Twitter for 13 years, that's, I, the, I that's the benefit. Got Joe Reed. I got the original Joe Reed. I'm very happy about that. Um, uh, and Screen Drafts, you can find uh, on all of the podcast uh, apps. It's Screen Drafts, two words. And we're on all the social media stuff. Um, you know, Chris and Joe have done, I think they're on f- three or four episodes three definitely three? main ones and then we had the we had the uh the uh queer the live show queer live show one yes, yes right yes. you did well you did you did drag mm-hmm. movies drag movies best, best actress of the 20th century so yeah it's four it's four you've done four yeah you've done four episodes because the, the live show is in the main feed mm-hmm. uh as well so you've yes. done, they've done four episodes but right. uh w- one appearance away from being screen drafts all-stars but i will say uh, you guys, I mean, you must have a very like loyal audience, um, because a couple of your episodes are some of the most popular. Oh, wow. we've ever oh get out of here! Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so feed um, our egos for that. That's fantastic. Ab- I love that. Yeah. Always love having you guys on. Um, Aww, thank and, you. Uh, you will will have you on again soon. So if you like Joe and Chris, which I hope you do, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I really uh, hope you do because it's a lot of us. If you don't, don't hate so. listen to us, you can yeah. find them. And actually, if you want to. <laughs> If you want to find their episodes, we've got fans who created a uh, fan screen drafts wiki uh, that is oh, nice. incredibly detailed. Did you guys know that you have uh, GM pages on a Wikipedia that lists all what? your picks and all of your episodes? And <laughs> no. All right. We got to check that out. out immediately. It has a it has a photo and it says like whether or not you have a rollover veto uh, at the current oh, time. Wow. It's madness. So if you want to find what episodes Chris and Joe are on, you can go to just type in Screen Drafts Wiki and then on the search punch in their names and it'll tell you which which oh, episodes. Uh, oh, I love that. Some of our best. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Clay. Chris, what about you? Where can the listeners you find you? You can find me show? on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V File. That is F E I L. All right. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember, you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So take a break from looking on serenely in your immaculate white trench coat and write something nice about us, won't you? 
That is all for this week, but we hope you'll but be back next week. don't do it week. while you're driving. Don't <laughs> yes. do it while you're driving. Yes. Be, be safe, everybody. Be very safe. Uh, we hope you'll be back next week for more. We shall be on that beautiful shore. There's a land that is fair.